Greetings and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's guest is Arnold Guerra. Arnold obtained a bachelor's degree in physics from Berkeley and a subsequent master's in physics from the University of Barcelona. He is now completing his PhD in physics and his research spans the area of theoretical and mathematical physics. When he's not nose deep in physics papers, Arnold is an avid climber and explorer with a passion for mountains. He is also a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Today we talk about theoretical physics, the speed of light, gravity and aliens, wartime and morality, and finish with a long debate on gun crime and policy in the USA. Arnold is a curious and highly intelligent human who tries to push the boundaries of the known in his research. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, 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 Arnold Guerra the fourth <laughs> to um, the eighth episode of the Quest for Wisdom podcast. Thanks, How does that make you feel? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you. Um, Arnold is actually officially the most complicated of my guests. He specifically requested that the background be changed to the Matterhorn Mountains to reflect his love for the Matterhorn Mountain. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and the mountains in general. Thank you for that, by the way, for <laughs> yeah. that adjustment. No problem. <laughs> we had a little bit of technical issues. Um, I'm not that uh, familiar with the program, but we've got it sorted, and I think it's looking pretty nice, uh, actually. So Arnold, you are a theoretical physicist. Yeah. You are a human. You I are so. a climber. Eh, um, I do some climbing. You do some climbing. I do some climbing. You're also a purple belt in jujitsu. Yeah, um, that's true. And you are what else? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm <laughs> like a, song. Uh, a little bit of a yeah. <laughs> We're writing some lyrics to a song, and this is how it started. <laughs> uh, yeah, I dabble in quite a bit of different areas of life, as I know a lot of people do. So <laughs> nice. So we actually met about a year and a bit ago, I think. At, um, at what I would describe as a hippie event. It was very hippie. Um, would you describe yourself as a hippie theoretical physicist? I am a theoretical physicist that uh, likes to hang out with hippies. <laughs> <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to be learned from hanging out with hippies. Um, I love the term, by the way, because it's, you know, it's existed for decades. Mm. Uh, and also it paints a picture. But, uh, but then it's also so broad, right? Like you can't exactly know what it. Yeah. How do you define hippie? Um, anti-establishment? A bit of anti-establishment, for sure. Long hair? Sometimes. I would say spiritual. There's a spiritual, spiritual component. Smoking uh, weed. Smoking weed is a component. Usually psychedelics might be art. Yeah. Just like very uh, art- artsy. Um, um, ill-fitting clothes? Maybe. Yeah. Baggy Sometimes. trousers. Um, not not conventional fashion. Not conventional That's fashion. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely the event that we met at. It was a friend's birthday. And yeah. she is somewhat of a cult leader in the making, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And a lovely person. <laughs> a lovely person. And I'd love to hang out with her more, actually. it's one, She's one of these people that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, life, you know, I just don't hit up as much. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got my things going on and she's got hers. And... Yeah, that is but the sad she's a lovely thing about person. life. Yeah, um, it happens. We get busy and we can easily disconnect if we don't put in the effort to stay stay in touch. 
Yeah. So she she started up a little thing called the Roro tribe. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but it seems to be a load of people, a load of hippies, um, <laughs> getting together in Barcelona and doing all these various different events. And they've got some big houses in like farmhouses in the countryside and they go there and they do different events. And I think it's pretty cool. Hence yeah. why she's a bit of a cult leader in the making. Hopefully <laughs> she stays on the right side of the track. I think so. Um, I think she's on that path, but you never know. You never People, know. You never know. People. You never know with cults. <laughs> you never know with cults. Like. I don't know if it's a cult. It does have culty vibes. I, I would say in general, though, uh, like uh, even uh, like even yoga groups can start to get culty. You know, like in a in a in a positive way, though. Sometimes I think you know, even if we think of a. Uh, you know, just people, groups of people getting together and spending time. Uh, for, uh, there's always going to be negative things that happen, but for the most part, I think uh, there's a tendency for good. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, I've been told by, I would say, more than 10 people in my life that I'd make a good cult leader. Um, Dude, so I'm hoping. <laughs> so I'm hoping that I, <laughs> hopefully I stay on the right side of the track as well, because yeah. the dark side is tempting. It's something I find. Mm. Um the the allure of eternal dark knowledge is definitely there. What kind of darkness are we talking here? If you could specify, I'm well, curious. Well, I've always I like in, darkness, by the way. Well, I've always been interested in the occult, and I yeah. conceptually interested. I'd like to say I don't dabble very much, okay. but I like the concept of it. But in books and movies, people that dabble in the occult wind up in bad situations. Mm. So I'm thinking. Let's not bother doing that, Connor, because, mm. again, the reason I want to dabble in the occult is because it's like, oh, eternal knowledge. Read from this ancient Egyptian book of the dead and find out all these secrets about life and the afterlife and traveling through time and all this different stuff and leaving your body and astral projection. I'm like, this all sounds so cool. Right. But then you hear stories about people astral projecting and not being able to find their way back to their body and then mm. basically becoming comatose and all this stuff. And I'm like, ooh, do I want to try that? <laughs> like, there is... My guess is it wouldn't uh, happen. Your guess is but maybe it I'm trying happen. to. I'm, maybe I'm trying to recruit you over yeah, exactly. here. And, yeah, exactly. So maybe I don't want to <laughs> listen to your opinion, but are you, are you familiar with Freddie Silver? No. No. So Freddie Silver, he is a British, I don't know what you'd call him, like historian, journalisty type person. Um, and him, along with a few other people, mainly Graham Hancock, they are leading a new branch of alternative history, um, pushing forward new theories for where we came from um, the past, basically. Mm. Um, technologies that existed, civilizations that existed, etc., and he tells the story of going into the pyramids in, in Giza. Like, you can pay a load of money and go into them, have private tours. And he said that in the king's, I believe it's in the king's chamber, you can go in the sarcophagus. And he basically had this crazy out-of-body experience. Um, and some other people had done it. And they basically got lost and couldn't find their way back to their body and all this stuff. And then they had to shut down the pyramids. Um, I want to go. I want to go. Yeah, I, th that's what I mean. I'm, I'm hoping to go to Egypt in a couple of months. I don't have enough money, I don't think, to pay to go in there privately. It's very expensive. And I really yeah. like, and I really, and I think they maybe stopped doing the private tours because it's like, it's like, we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars, pounds, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, there's that. And then there's another thing. Um, there's a woman called Madame Blavatsky and she, 
she was around, I think, in about the late 1800s. Um, she was born in, I think, Russia. And she basically went, like, traveling by herself all over the world and wrote all these books, like, really ahead of her time, considering she was female and doing all this different stuff. And she got into spirituality and, uh, like, alternative religion and all these different things. And she, I believe she was part of, she maybe she wasn't part of this, but she's linked to this thing called, like, the the Rosicrucifarians or something like that. And these people claim to be able to meet in their dreams. Damn. Um, and, like, obviously, the skeptic in you says bullshit. But then I'm also, like, of the opinion that virtually anything is possible and the actual limit of human ability is the what we understand about human ability and the mind and consciousness is so, so small compared to the actual limits um, and I be also believe that in the past, other civilizations have had really strong abilities, like more psychic abilities and things like that, that we've lost as technologies improved. Um, how does that fit into your understanding as a theoretical physicist? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I tend to be of the, from the school of thought that says, you know, things that are mystery best to just um ask questions and i try not to have much of an opinion on on certain things that uh i would personally consider to be mysteries uh yeah i i say from a from a theoretical physics standpoint i gravitate towards uh no pun intended mm -hmm. um <laughs> towards evidence-based type things uh i certainly believe that there is a lot that we do not understand and anything is possible within in you know in that realm but uh yeah the point that that step of then making a sort of speculation I, I try to be very careful about and if i'm if i if i do make a speculation i would want it to be based on some kind of evidence but then again we could be just completely fooled right we could uh you know, uh, the, what is it? The, the evil genius could be tricking mm -hmm. us, right? I mean, we could be in a matrix sort of situation. Who knows where, you know, when you count one, two, three, four, you, you actually miss uh, a, a, a number or something. And, it, you know, counting four is actually five, right? So our perception of four is five, uh, these sorts of things, you know, the, you know, the, the arguments, I think Descartes was the one that uh, kind of made some of these arguments, you know, the uh, uh, I think, therefore I am, famously by Descartes. Uh, so yeah, you know, we could be tricked by the evil genius. Everything could be just a total fallacy, a total, uh, you know, mistake in a way. And yeah, see, this is, this is my, um, I wouldn't say issue, but this is my concern when the word evidence is used. Because I'm like... Right okay, you can pull up five pieces of evidence to prove your theory, but that doesn't make your theory correct. And it might only make your theory correct for a certain amount of time right. until new evidence arrives and that theory is then wrong. And like you say, we it ju could just be that our whole framework of understanding of everything is wrong. Like, for example, four is actually five. And like a good example of a, a more... Um, easy to conceptualize example of what you just mentioned is in western music it 
primarily in Western music, we use the scale A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Mm. However, you go to more um, like Persian music yeah. and they use notes that are of frequencies that are different to the standard frequencies we use. Yeah, so their scales are totally, they don't exist in our framework of scales because the frequencies don't match. Right. That's and, and, and they have a whole different framework for what music is. That's why, right. you know, like that kind of like Arabian Persian music to us sounds so like to me it sounds so mystical and like right. woo because they're they're notes that our brains aren't used to. That's awesome. Um which is really cool. And it is is exactly that. Absolutely. And it's like you've got infinite divisions with numbers, you've got infinite divisions of everything up and down. Right. And maybe we're focused on the wrong ones. Yeah, you know, I think the 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 spirit of science is that you accept certain things as axioms and uh, you deduce what you can starting from that point because you have to start somewhere. And uh, but the the truth is that there's always in the back of the mind of a of a of a let's say of a open-minded thinker mm. that those axioms could actually be uh just just you know, not the the right ones or the or just uh, you know, incorrect altogether, or perhaps who knows, right? I mean, there, there's many things, but you have to start somewhere. And so, the, the spirit of science is based on a starting point. Uh, let's see what we can find out. And so, yeah, it you know, it depends on what you mean. For example, by the word correct, right? If you have a theory, if it's correct, what do we mean? In the in the world of of science, uh, especially in physics, actually all of science. Uh, Things are only correct, so to speak, up to a certain point, up mm -hmm. to a certain scale. There's going to be error that you take into consideration, and then you think of, uh, you know, uh, what error is acceptable and what is not acceptable based on whatever question it is you're asking, and the questions you ask are within the context of a certain starting point. Uh, but yeah, something is never totally correct, and actually in the world of theoretical physics, there's always this... Uh, clash between the theoretical physicists uh, of what is correct and what's not correct. Uh, the more mathematical physicists who are not necessarily trying to discuss phenomenology of how specific kinds of particles interact with one another, but just in general trying to understand the landscape of, of theories that can describe physical phenomena, uh, you know, those mathematical physicist types are willing to study a much broader uh, sort of set of of ideas and, and theories versus the phenomenologists might be sitting in a corner being like you guys are crazy this this is this has nothing to do with our universe this is incorrect you're wasting your time so on and so forth and there's this clash and it's it's a cultural clash within a small community I mean the community of theoretical physics is pretty small I would say you know I mean Shakara. everybody <laughs> yeah people know each other uh, it's yeah so yeah, that clash is very real. I have it with mathematicians. When I go with my mathematician friends, for example, they'll not accept some theoretical physics because, you know, the theoretical physics jumped past some specific definition or some specific, uh, you know, trick that use some specific trick that jumps past some definition or something that uh, is a bit, mathematically speaking, not rigorous. The mathematicians, they, they go from A to B, B to C, C to mm -hmm. D, if this, then this and that. It's very precise. There's no, there's no room for, uh, a lot of the time, no room for, uh, you know, just hand-waving. 
and theoretical physicists is not like that usually it's for the most part hand waving it's uh throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks <laughs> yeah and i love that and i think that's one of the things that i know very very little about theoretical physics obviously but like one of the things that just in the it, it seems like a total juxtaposition theoretical mm. and physics because it's like yeah the, the way i the way i think of it is that like like you're mentioning there maths physics science chemistry biology you know all of those things they are structured they have rules they are effectively you're looking for the correct answer you know you're looking for a plus b equals c uh one plus two equals three like all of those type of things and everything has to kind of balance and equate properly and so those fields attract a certain type of person generally who is a person that likes a lot of order and likes things to be correct and likes to be searching for those correct answers but then obviously when you throw theoretical in that throws that all out the window because like you're you're trying to push the boundaries yeah um you're trying to break apart those theories so i can see where it would ruffle some feathers yeah because you're you're effectively shattering people's world like they're 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 when when their world and their work and everything is built up and it, it reaches a certain level where they maybe they've worked for 40 years on one specific thing and they're the expert of that thing, and then if someone comes along and smashes it apart, like, how would you deal with that? It's very emotional for a lot of people. Oh, it's crazy, and it's, it's, something that, it's something that I've thought of a lot. These two people I mentioned, Graham Hancock and Freddie Silver, there are many others, but they have effectively done that with archaeology, and they've got so much stick for it, because they are presenting Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix. I would, uh, the series, it, it's amazing. Um and ancient civilizations as well there's about three series of that um but they they've smashed apart the whole concept of of human evolution basically not evolution necessarily but like civilization the, the evolution of civilization when that happened where that happened mm. um you know the technology that was involved and all these things and they present they present it in a way where the evidence is they present the evidence as so strong that you almost cannot disagree with them um obviously i'm not there testing their carbon dating and all these things so i have no idea but there's enough people that believe what they're saying that i believe them because it seems to be they get they get rejected by the the dinosaurs in the industry you know who have been doing it for a long time and in yeah. order to accept their new theory would have to basically reject their own belief and life's work and it's yeah. one of the things that stops science from moving as quickly yeah. as it could yeah. because you have to basically wait for a generation to die. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. For then more new things to come out. Yeah. So how do you, where do you start? When, when, like, where do you start in a, in a theoretical physics problem? Yeah. How do you go about that? Uh, well, me personally, it's just... Uh just uh poking into things i'm curious about i mean it it's the same process as uh the process i go through when i'm curious about uh let's say world war ii history i, I tend to actually be very interested in in war history and actually military tactics i know very little uh but i think it's interesting uh, another thing that i find it quite interesting uh 
is along the world of philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm no expert by any means uh, in philosophy, but, you know, it's just asking questions and being curious and uh, just poking, Googling, well, in the in the case of, uh, of physics, I don't use Google specifically for the most part, mm-hmm. it's, it's papers, research papers, but yeah, it's just poking and Googling random stuff or, or searching random stuff that uh, is in the in the sphere of what I'm curious about and then more questions arise. I mean, it's, it's really not difficult to, to get lost because there's so much that can be asked. And yeah, I I think that it is important to have some sort of, uh, a something you're shooting towards. And I do have those, sorts of ideas in mind but they have to be very flexible as well because maybe what you're asking isn't the thing to be asked or maybe it's already something that's answered and and okay if it's already answered then you find the answer and that's it but then and as a researcher you're trying to ask questions that uh, are going to provide new insights into whatever it is that you might be thinking about Um, so you would come up with like a just a base theory just something that you have an idea, something that you have a, just maybe a hunch or based on some evidence you think maybe this might be correct. And then you start trying to sort fight, of like dig holes in, in other people's work. And <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well, there's just very, there's, there are very basic. When I say basic, I, I don't mean that to, to bring down the, the level of ideas, but I mean like there are some uh, basic ideas, concepts that we just don't understand. Uh, you know, uh, I'll give you one example. The universe is expanding, mm-hmm. our universe, as based on observations. Uh, we know that it's expanding, and it's accelerating in the way that it expands. It's, it's, it's expanding at an accelerated rate. And uh, in order for that to happen, there has to be some kind of energy uh, present in the actual space and time that causes that to happen. At least this is how we think of it. And mm-hmm. uh, we call it dark energy. Mm-hmm. But there's no understanding, understanding of what it is. And based on, if you look at all the matter in the universe and all the things that we can observe in the universe today, you look into the cosmos, a dark energy is, you know, 75% of all those, it would constitute 75% of all the things that are, you know, in this mix of what we call the universe. Uh, so that's like a very basic, you could say it's in some sense, right? A basic thing, right? Like the universe is expanding. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't, we don't, we don't, we don't understand what it is that's causing this expansion. We know that it's expanding. We don't know what's, what's causing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's in the back of every physicist's mind in, in some sense. And, and you might forget about it because you might have other questions because there's other things that are just like very, Right there in your face, right? It, 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 you don't have to necessarily go searching a ton. But then you you might ask, oh, how have some people thought about this? And then you ask questions about how why they're thinking about it that way, and if, if there's a better or you know different way or what you know more advantageous way in this specific context to think about this specific thing. And you know you go down the rabbit hole, and you know fifty more questions pop up. And then to answer each one of those 50 questions, you go down 50 rabbit holes, each of which provide you another 50 or 100 questions even. And then, it, you know, it's just endless. And but then the ideal, the, the main question, let's say, you know, what, why is the universe expanding, for example? 
might still be in the back of your mind. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit of that, but it, it's, yeah, I, I mean, it, I think creativity is very, very much necessary because, uh, you're trying to make sense of a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and there's all sorts of personalities in, in, at least in theoretical physics and you have the more creative types and you have the less creative, but more orderly types and, uh, and, uh, that's why we collaborate and work together so we can, uh, you know, as a team, succeed in understanding something that otherwise, as individuals, we might not be able to understand. So which type are you? Uh, I would say very crea creative. I'm not very good with, <laughs> like, super hardcore calculations. I do them because uh, uh, it just so happens that in my team, I would be the only guy doing them. Uh, but that's not my strength. You know, there are people who are far better at calculating stuff uh, that's just very tedious, and I'll make dumb mistakes, and I have to go and correct them. And, I, you know, I know people who can calculate at a, you know, point where they would do it five times faster than me and and twice as accurately and not have to go back. Uh, so calculating and keeping that order, you know, step by step is very, it, that is not my strength. I mean, I, I would say I'm... I'm I'm okay. I'm good at it, but I'm not great at it. Mm -hmm. um, but then reading through papers and all that, that's what I would say is my, uh, what I, what I have to offer to, you know, a group, mm -hmm. you know, and then asking questions and combining ideas, that sort of thing is what I tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that, um, you know, there are some of these basic questions that we still don't understand like yeah. why is the universe expanding like what is dark energy um i'm sure there's many others but i was listening to neil degrasse tyson a while back uh -huh. and he made I, I don't want to misquote him here but he made a statement along the lines of we basically know everything there is to know at the moment um like in terms of physics and when again i don't want to misquote him but that was the the gist of what he was saying and I was kind of thinking, but we don't like there's there's obviously like in terms of like what we can see and touch and those type of things. OK, yeah, we might understand, you know, a, a good majority. Yeah. But as far as I understood it, like what he was saying, it just seemed to me like there's loads of questions that are just totally unanswered, um, which I just thought was strange for someone of his esteem to be making a statement like that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I'd be curious to actually hear his his uh, statement there because uh, the devil's always in the details. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, certainly there's plenty of mysteries and we don't understand. But, but uh, you know, if I had to guess, perhaps one of the things that he might have been thinking about, uh, one of the lines along which he might have been thinking is uh, perhaps saying, uh, based on what we have understood, we've sort of re reached this threshold that we've saturated, and now we need like a, a like a revolution, you know, or some kind of a complete paradigm shift. And uh, before that paradigm shift, we've reached this maximum uh, uh, relative to a paradigm shift that needs to occur in order to answer the endless mysteries that are upon us today. Uh, maybe it was along those lines. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll check out this, you know, uh, this statement of his. But uh, yeah, I'll try find I, it because maybe maybe I've just done him a terrible injustice there. But I just remember, I remember no, no. thinking, I remember when I was listening, I remember thinking like, 
bit of a weird thing to say. Um, it does sound weird to me, which is why I'm I'm curious about the context. Mm. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, there's certainly the way it, it's interesting the history of how science progresses and sort of the sociology of how it progresses and and uh, how things happen. It's you know. Uh, science is invented by human beings, at least the way in which we, you know, study science. It's, it's invented by human beings, and uh, there's no theory of how things are discovered. Right? There's no, there's no uh, consistent way. It, every uh, discoveries happen in all sorts of different ways, and every single time we think that we've figured out all the ways in which discoveries occur, somebody else comes along and discovers it in a completely different way. Albert Einstein was a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, prior to Einstein, everything was being discovered uh, via experiments, mm -hmm. you know, and experiments would come first and then you'd ask questions. And, and you know, experiments were mainly the, the like the center point of how to develop new theory. And then Albert Einstein comes in with uh, no experiment and starts <laughs> thinking about light and how light is produced and, uh, you know, Maxwell's theory of electricity and magnetism and and, uh, you know, with just pure thought experiments, uh, comes to understand the physical world in a way that's new and more insightful and correct uh, without actual experiments. And then the experiments happen and these things have been verified. Relativity, special relativity has been verified. General relativity has been verified. These are Einstein's contributions. Uh, well, two of many, but... Uh, you know, those are the two, let's say, famous ones, special relativity and general relativity, which involve just thought experiments and then from pure thought and mathematics coming to conclusions which accurate, accurately describe things that can be observed experimentally. And it's what incredible. Is, what's general relativity and special relativity yeah, in layman's terms? In layman's terms. Well, I mean, general special relativity is essentially the description of how objects uh, interact with one another relative to their motion in space and time. So, so really, the way we think about things in the universe we're living in now, or not the way we perceive things in as human beings is things are moving, but they're moving at very, very slow rates. You know, we're not moving even nearly close to uh, the maximum, the speed limit of things uh, in the universe, how fast they can move. The speed limit is the speed of light. The speed of light is the fastest. Uh, uh, Has that not been broken, though? No. I thought that there was, I thought I read something about they broke it or they were planning to break it with something. I can't remember. No. No. It's not. It's not no. Is it possible? I, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those where uh, if it's possible, now we're getting into a totally different realm where physics is just wrong. Or maybe not wrong, but just we would have to throw away everything uh, we understand. It, if, it's, if, it, if, if it is possible, it would be the same as 4 equals 5. But, for example... Um... Michi, do you know Michio Kaku? Yeah. So Michio Kaku, he has this theory where he talks about, he's very big into 
spacefaring and potential other civilizations um like alien civilizations and he has this theory about the three levels of um what a civilization would be yeah. um type zero type one type two type one yeah. yeah type yeah so we type one type two type three and type zero i suppose but so type we're currently type zero wait i've caught well i think he said we're type 0. 0.7 oh did he uh yeah so i think it was 0. 0.7 so type one would be able to harness the power of your planet and to harness to control the weather and everything on your own planet and um i think that was type one and able to travel in space type two was then to be able to harness the energy of like a star or the sun or something like that and then type three was to be able to harness um the energy of quarks and he said that quark energy is enough to like some huge calculation but um it's like a ridiculous amount of energy which could then be used for bending space and time um and like long distance space travel and all these other crazy things and basically being able to manipulate time and space um and so he reckons i think that within a thousand years we would be type one ten thousand we would be type two and a hundred thousand would be type three or something like along those lines i've butchered that a little bit but mm. the the reason i'm saying that is about and i've heard it from various different um scientists the concept of bending space and time and instead of traveling straight like that being able to bend space and time and travel across yeah but that that doesn't involve traveling faster than the speed of light true so yeah uh, you could have geometries of space-time that allow you to move from point a to point b in a way that's much faster than if you were to go some longer distance some longer routes but uh yeah it's 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 inherent to space-time itself and objects that have mass that they cannot move faster than the speed of light and things that don't have mass particles that are massless they move at the speed of light and nothing moves faster but what about if what has this been studied in terms of in if there were if space and time were bent in that situation has, yeah, yeah, yeah. has it been it has to that sort of thing's been studied the the speed of light is not going to be violated based on the bending of space time okay everything everything this is this is the there's this principle it's the principle of causality so basically, nothing can move outside of a certain range of speeds. Uh, well, nothing can move past this, this speed limit, and that speed limit exists geometrically uh, in the space-time itself. And uh, yeah, you can warp that geometry, but the, but the speed limit is going to be there regardless. There, there, uh, there are many fancy ways we can start talking about this, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's. Uh, uh, of value <laughs> the point the point is that uh yeah this speed limit in the the theory that we understand today is is going to just be there always if if something can travel faster than the speed of light then we have to throw away basically uh everything we understand yeah that's just that's just how it is right now and and personally my personal opinion is that there, there's nothing wrong with having a speed limit. No, know? nothing at all wrong there's with that. There's nothing wrong. And, and uh, you know, once again, 
it could be that we are in some kind of matrix and the evil mm. genius is tricking us and four equals five, but then we're getting into a completely different uh, kind of philosophy that has now exited the, the realm of science. Once again, we have starting points, and uh, based on the starting points that we have today, nothing will travel faster than the speed of light. And you asked me what special relativity and general relativity was. I mean, special relativity is really taking... Maxwell's theory of electricity and magnetism and adding in a few postulates saying nothing can travel faster than the speed of light and the speed of light is going to be constant regardless of how that light is generated and then physical consequences follow. That special relativity uh, came out and he, uh, Einstein published his papers on that in 1905 and then general relativity is taking that and adding in gravity into the mix and that was, uh, well, he famously presented general, general relativity to the world in 1915, and it continued to be developed for decades. And uh, the last verification of one of the things that Einstein predicted in general relativity, which is the existence of gravitational waves, which are the actual uh, fluctuation of space and time itself propagating through the universe, this is a prediction of Einstein's theory uh, of general relativity. This prediction was recently and famously confirmed experimentally. Uh, what year oh. was it? I want to say 2016, maybe. And Nobel Prize was Nobel. Three Nobel prizes were given. Um, yeah, you know, over you know, hundred years, about a hundred years after uh, general relativity was born. So it took a hundred years plus to to verify experimentally what Einstein just, you know, and, and colleagues, mostly Einstein just thought is sitting down and thinking about stuff. And th that was a completely new way to discover things, right? Before that's not how things were discovered. And it's really been one of the only times in history that things about the universe have been discovered in that way. Typically experiments are very much at the center, but in that case it, they were thought experiments and it's, it's really very fascinating how that could happen, right? Like it's just uh, it's very interesting. So uh, when you say that it was it was verified with experiment, do you mean like a physical experiment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These gravitational waves were detected. There was a a collision of black holes, supermassive black holes, far away from us, very far away from us, and th that caused an an immense amount of energy to be release in the form of gravitational waves uh that those waves reached us and we us human beings i was not part of this mm -hmm. but <laughs> as a species we had an experiment uh that was able to dis detect the the actual fluctuation of space and time right um so very does interesting that, does that because what are your thoughts on anti-gravity machines i.e the the typical UFO like, the, yeah. um, <laughs> like uh, pr propulsion device I should I, I yeah. should say what are your thoughts on that Yeah I I I, uh, I don't see why those things can't exist I'm sure they they uh, you know uh, in principle could It's just that I would have zero idea We would I think just have zero idea of how they would work But in principle they could they could exist. Mm, interesting yeah. Yeah. have you what are you have you seen um have you seen the videos which i think it's very odd but like have you seen the ufo videos released by the pentagon yeah what yeah. are your thoughts 
fascinating, compelling. Uh, do you think it's more more likely to be UF as in aliens? extraterrestrial, or do you yeah. reckon it's more likely to be something that's built on this Earth that's like a super secret project? Yeah, I. Uh, you got me cornered here. <laughs> well, there yeah, could be, there could be to go... those. I've given you two options there. That's yeah, a bit leading. Yeah, but... No, no, but I, I'm going to go with alien. <laughs> I mean, if you put a gun to my head. But the, the reason why is if it was uh, some sort of secret technology, which I'm sure, obviously there are, there is secret te technology that's very much the case, that would be an incredible discrepancy between what we understand uh, about the universe publicly and what we understand about the universe privately let's say in some government run labs and and uh yeah i i i think um there's just far too many good scientists in the public sort of science practice that would just be pissed off that they've been left out <laughs> no not because no no not that that's not what i no, what i, I mean at all <laughs> I mean, also, yes. Why uh, have you not fucking told me? So how did, how could you? How could you how create could you this propulsion device without me? And I, I'm, I'm here I would working. Be one of them. I'm, I'm here working on a fucking two-cylinder V8. Or no, that's wrong. Like a, yeah. a V8 engine, and you've got a propulsion <laughs> anti-gravity propulsion machine. <laughs> I would be very pissed myself personally if I was left. I would walk in and be like, "How fucking spaceships? Really? <laughs> this is what you kept for me? Yeah, no, I would be very pissed personally myself." No, I, I don't. I, I think that it's just impossible that, well, not impossible, but it's very unlikely that scientists would just be completely oblivious and then only a small few would be let in on the secret. I mean, because we're talking about things that are just far too fundamental to. Who knows? I might be wrong, but if I, gun to my head, aliens. Uh, but that brings me to my next question, though. I've got a few things to say here. Why, for what benefit would the? Oh no! In fact, I've got a few answers to my own question here. Um, I was going to say, why would the Pentagon release videos of this type of thing? Like, for what purpose? And originally, I've just answered my own question. But originally, I was thinking that the they were doing it to create fear, in order to then be able to put in more strict measures um as is often done when it comes to some sort of external threat you know they drip feed a bit of information okay these got these flying drones and then they're like okay maybe there's an alien attack coming we need to up our security blah 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 and then then you have more security that way but then part of me thinks okay maybe they are genuinely putting it out there so that then it puts plants a seed in people's head to think that that is possible and then hope that someone comes back to them and says, okay, maybe this is possible because of this. You know, you're kind of like crowdsourcing the answer. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, the Pentagon isn't putting out these types of things to shape public opinion, really. I, if I had to guess. I, I mean, I, I, I realize a lot of people, you know, a lot of the world sees, you know, the Pentagon and these government, you know, organizations, you know, agencies the cia as these super mysterious and they are mysterious in many ways they have many secrets but you know uh i think they see them more mysterious than what they really are you know the job of the pentagon is to uh fund the military right and properly have a have the it's it's a it's a place where interaction between washington dc and top level military 
officials interact and decide what needs funding, what doesn't, what needs to be, what programs need to be created, and so on and so forth. And I, I, I think that the function of, uh, of the military is really uh, very specific, and uh, shaping public opinion would be something that would come from somewhere else. That comes from higher up. That comes from, from uh, you know, who knows? I mean, to, in, in the case of the U.S., really... Uh, the executive branch is very responsible for uh, leading the nation in terms of public opinion and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, so yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't speculate in that direction personally. I, I understand and I respect when when people might think. You know, perhaps the Pentagon has like a, a small group of people that are thinking, "How are we going to trick the public?" But next? I don't think I don't, I don't. That's what I mean. I don't. <clears throat> I don't necessarily think of it in like nefarious motives but it's like there 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 is a motive there's always a motive for doing the, the, for if for releasing something like that which is going right. to shape public opinion yeah. fact that's going to change a lot of that's going to ruffle a lot of people's feathers yeah there's a motive for that otherwise yeah. they would just keep that you know there's they don't have to tell anyone anything but there's a reason for that probably Absolutely. but that's my point it's like is it in, in terms of what you're saying you know like maybe it's not come from higher up and that's actually a military decision and if you're right in saying that then maybe it is to try and crowdsource answers maybe they are genuinely flummoxed and they're putting it out there like we see that these things part of it. like well, what the hell are these does anybody have any sort of idea what this is um that kind of came to me as uh, probably that i'm thinking that now that that's i would say the strongest argument i can think of the most likely i would say um but i don't know it's yeah. just it's very confusing there are certainly reasons why things get released to the public uh and yeah i was i was uh i wasn't giving my speculation mm -hmm. on what the reason is i was uh, at that point just now uh, pointing out that i don't think the reasons would be you know to let's say prime people for something or you know i i think uh now I'll tell you what I think might be part of, you know, the, the nature of, of the reason for releasing s such information. Uh, yeah, I, I think, first, firstly, I think the question to be asked is, uh, why would they hide certain things, right? Why would you keep certain things secret? And I think that the answer to that question is uh, probably very within our, very much within our reach, you and I mm. here sitting here, right? You know, some things are flying over our our airspace, and uh, we don't know what it is, and we don't want the enemy to know that there are things flying over our airspace that we don't know about. But we also don't want people to panic unnecessarily. Yeah, but then again, th that sort of public opin opinion thing, I don't think the the military is really so much making that decision on. That's again, I think that's more of a. Uh, politics that makes that sort of decision the military is concerned with national security and protection and, and, public, and yeah i think we're going to disagree on this one i like uh i don't think the military is thinking about public opinion i think that high people people high up in the military do consider public opinion i'm not saying that the military ignores public opinion but i'm saying the decisions on protecting or shaping public opinion i don't think those decisions are being made by people in the military I'm but like, but for example, say if there was 
weird things flying over the sky that yeah. you don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, you release that information out and make that information public. Right. People are going to panic, and that could then lead to a pro a military problem. But that's not an argument for for uh, the military being the ones that make the decision to keep something secret, right? Like that that that's true. That people might panic, right? But that that's that's not a that's not a statement that directly leads to the conclusion that it must be the military that's making the decision to keep this away from the public, right? It could be somebody else. It could be the executive branch, right? The the after all, the military uh, obeys orders to the president of the United States, right? And uh, and the Secretary of State and the people who are in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, they are following orders. The the military is responding to a civilian sector, and that civilian sector is the government. And these are publicly elect, or these are elected officials, right? and those are the ones that make those decisions. Now, keeping something from the public, other than you know, let's say keeping uh, things from going into chaos in terms of uh, you know people panicking, I think I think in terms of the military's advice or interests. In keeping certain things uh, private has to do with national security. Uh, it, again, I'm guessing I'm not a four-star military general, you know, that served in a bunch of different wars. I don't. I, I, this is me being just a, a total layman and uh, speculating based on what I observe as a citizen of the world. Um, yeah, I think I think the military is probably just concerned with more of the national security element of that. And and again, when these decisions are made. Uh, typically, my understanding is that, you know, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which are generals and admirals, go to the president and advise the president, advise the Secretary of State, the Secretary of State advises the president, and then the president makes decisions uh, based on that advice. And the typically, the I think the interest of the military is, again, to maintain national security, to uh, maintain uh, interests that are going to protect, you know, the people who are, you know, protected by that military, right? You know, people paying taxes to keep uh, themselves protected from adversaries that may want to cause harm um, and so on. But, you know, in that light, the, you know, the officers that go and advise the president are, you know, probably making their statements and based on that. Uh, and then the president might decide, and other people, I don't know exactly how such public opinion decisions are made, but, you know, let's say the executive branch and then Congress, you know, in some in some cases, uh, I'm not sure. But let's say the president uh, makes that decision based partially on the advice of the, the, the high-level officers in the military, partially based on what the Secretary of State thinks, what the Secretary of Defense thinks. I think I've been using the term Secretary of State, and I've been meaning Secretary, Secretary of, of Defense. Defense. Yeah, um, and so on, right? You know, so uh, yeah. Why? So I still, I feel like I still haven't uh, said why I think such information about UFOs would be released. I think the first question was why they would keep it. the The reason would be national security, and now they're realizing, okay, well, you know what, maybe. It's not such a huge national security risk to let it be known that we don't know about certain things that are out there. 
and a good way to start figuring out what it is might be to release some of this information little by little and see uh, who might start getting interested in mm. answering such questions. I'm speculating. I might be totally wrong. It might be completely the Illuminati, you know, concealing everything, making sure that we're kept dumb as a population. It totally might be. But I, I, don't, but I, I don't know. I is, think I, like, not. I think that a lot of things are kept from us for very good reasons because yeah. you don't, we don't need to know. And that's the thing. It's, it's a need to know basis. But that, that's why I find it odd in this situation because right. you, with, with these sort of high level decisions and sort of especially high level military decisions and um, military developments and new technologies and all this stuff, like we don't need to know that again for national safety, yeah. whichever nation it is, they don't want to be telling everybody they're creating new things or they've got new weird people visiting them or whatever like that. They, right. they keep that. They want to keep that secret. And yeah. that's totally fair enough um yeah and like i think that sometimes you obviously we obviously have conspiracies and things like the illuminati exist and right. billionaires talk to each other and go to meetings and have meetings which with they, other billionaires which they do which, they do, <laughs> which is also and meet with government because officials. i meet with government officials and it's like yeah. but it's uh, it's kind of like um we go meet with people who are our peers it's like if you're also yeah. billionaires and right. your peers are also billionaires. I was talking about it with someone recently. It's like, out. If you're a billionaire, you can only really hang around with other billionaires because no one else is really going to have the slightest idea of what it's like to live in your shoes. Um, yeah, and you can't trust people, I think. You can't trust anyone. Even yeah. like if you become a millionaire, right. really, you have to kind of change most of your social group because everybody else is going to, not everyone, but a lot of people will change how they act towards you right. and view you as a source of, if not money, then opportunity. Right. Um, so it's like, it becomes very and different. people might and have envy and, you envy, know, resentment. Exactly. And you don't want to be around people that are feeling those things towards you and effectively right. being fake. So I, I totally get it. And it's like people that have made it as billionaires, maybe, you know, they are still ordinary people. And, they are allowed to go and meet with other people, but they probably are shaping public policy. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they are the ones who have the biggest vested interest yeah, in, yeah. in things. And it like it makes logical sense. Does it make moral sense? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, okay. go, like, you know, going back to this point of being having stuff hidden and being used to having stuff hidden and being okay with that then to have something that seems like extremely out there, the type of thing that would be hidden, not hidden, then it's just kind of, it, it, it makes me curious. Like I used to want to be an MI6, which is like the, maybe, you know, badass yeah. secret agents, secret <laughs> agents. Like, um, like the, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like the British version of the CIA, but only they deal with foreign matters. So MI5 is like internal. MI6 is external. CIA is external as well. Is it? Yeah. Oh, and the FBI is internal. Yeah, FBI is part of law enforcement, and the CIA is a uh, an intelligence agency that basic intelligence means spy agency, uh -huh. <laughs> among um, other things. Yeah, but so I used to want to be part of that, and then like this is when I was probably 14, 15, and I was into languages. So the plan was to like go to uni and learn a few different languages, um, like Farsi and Arabic and stuff, Dude. Um, which would be pretty cool. Like I am learning Arabic did, now. Do you but... learn any Farsi? 
I didn't learn any Farsi. I didn't go. I didn't do it in the end. Okay. But like I do, I like I, I'm learning Arabic at the moment, and I speak a few other languages. Awesome. But um, anyway, then I realized, wait a minute, if I'm a spy, I'm yeah. not gonna be able to tell anyone I'm a spy. I'm I'm gonna have to basically lie to everyone that I meet about what I do. It's gonna be a very hard life. It's gonna be an extremely hard it's life. It's got to be. And you would have really no reward for anything that you do. Your your reward would have to all be intrinsic. Um, I've heard about this from from a, a someone who would recruit agents for the CIA, saying that their best agents are the ones that their reward is completely intrinsic, individual. Yeah. And and you know they'll have gargantuan egos, but it's kept to themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they don't need. To, they do. don't need to tell anyone else. Right. Like I, one of my friends at school, he, I, I don't know if it was um an internship or if it was after school. I can't remember, but he did some sort of work placement at the Ministry of Defence in the UK. Couldn't tell anyone about it. Like I can't remember if he, I can't remember if he could tell us that he was working there yeah. when he was doing it, or if he had to tell us afterwards. But you can't tell anyone what you were doing when you're there, right? And it's like part of for for a rel. I don't. I would describe myself as mildly social, um, but for someone who has some desire for sociability, to not be able to talk about anything you do in work, or even further than well, that, you would lie. have a group within the community, probably, hopefully, some to some extent. True, but then probably you're not allowed to tell each other the things that you're specifically working on. You know, because again, it's one of those Sometimes. need to know basis. Maybe like you're, you're, you're a know. direct team, however many people that is. But what if you're like a, an undercover sole well, agent somewhere? Well, there's different levels. I don't know. We're once again speculating, but there's different levels of, um, like classified that they yeah. call, right? So, you know, certain people have a certain clearance to get certain kinds of information, and then there's different levels, and then those levels might get, grant you access to more information, and then then there's someone who's able to look at everything, and someone who's not, and and uh, yeah, I don't know what levels of uh, classified these uh, super James Bond secret agents in the MI6 or CIA are able to have and whether or not that means that they can read their colleagues' debriefs on certain operations. I think that they do read debriefs because they, you learn from one another operationally. At, uh, I don't know. I I would have to ask uh, friends that know. Uh, <laughs> not that I have any. Oh. Uh, I might. Uh, I might, or might I not. might not, <laughs> you know. I might be one of... No, I'm just not. I'm <laughs> definitely not. Um, who knows? But I would I would imagine that um yeah if also if you're doing that kind of work um yeah i think having that social balance is not one of your main objectives nah. in life and and you would probably have some degree of social balance not not uh, the kind that most people crave desire and seek have but you, you would um, have some i think i've two of my friends i just saw him like a month ago so there's like one of my friends at home he works for some sort of fraud like anti-fraud department now um in the uk and um he's being given some level of clearance like yeah. not some do you know I mean clearance to look into people's i suppose it is looking into people's life like to check if they're doing fraud um so he's been given some level of clearance uh or he's like being going through the application for it and he's had to basically nominate one of my other friends as his um 
like reference or whatever so then these people are going to be grilling my other friend about this friend <laughs> and they, he said it was like he said stuff like what type of porn does he watch like uh, oh, how much geez. does he drink uh, like just you know everything to to it's very personal yeah extremely personal stuff but then you know, it's also I'm not like trying to share share that kind of stuff with people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and but that's what they're, they're trying to like i suppose see if there's anything you can be blackmailed about anything uh, um I guess that's one of the reasons. Also, just to see what type of person you are. And I suppose they're also probably... they probably, Maybe they have access to all your information anyway, and they want to see if yeah. you're lying. Yeah. So maybe they'll say, like, what type of porn do you watch? You're like, oh, The government you know, just, can see what kind just, of porn you watch. Just, like, vanilla, sure. vanilla stuff. They're like, not, no, not what I can tell. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't think people watch vanilla porn. <laughs> I, I wonder what the actual data is on this. You know, like, how many of porn watchers watch only vanilla porn? My guess is zero, zero percent. Yeah. If I had a guess, once again, we're all get we're all, all of this is guessing. Yeah. But then I suppose it's just it's one of those things where it's like, if you're bombarded with loads of things, yeah. you're gonna click on them. Like that's it. Also, there's uh the, like the the dopamine kick that yeah. you get from certain activities. You know, if you do them enough, then you're not getting the same kind of yeah. uh, response, and so you want to get a similar response and that's the whole thing about addiction right uh and then your you know your baseline dopamine levels just are getting depleted or are, are going to be depleted and and so yeah you're you're just increasingly dissatisfied with things that in the past were satisfying i mean this is uh pretty understood well understood i think in the world of uh neuroscience and brain chemistry and biology Mm. you know so I, I would imagine that with porn uh imagine I, we've all watched porn come on mm. you, you we've all experienced yeah, things my, my where... friend my friend told me about porn and yeah, based oh, on what my he's friend telling me says that he used to watch <laughs> vanilla porn and after three days was like yeah now i have to watch crazy porn yeah i, I think it's just uh it's just a natural thing right I, w- with alcohol i've experienced it right you know i remember the first time i felt the in- under the influence of alcohol was with two beers Mm. like uh, two beers do nothing to me now right <laughs> and i'm not a heavy dr- i don't even i don't go out and get drunk all the time i don't i don't particularly enjoy being drunk mm. you know i just you know built the tolerance from social you know gatherings going and drinking with friends and stuff and i enjoy alcohol but uh i don't enjoy being super drunk however my tolerance is so high now that you know two beers is is not I can go work out after two. I'm not going to get as good of a workout, but I could, in theory, go work out with two beers and I'll be fine. Mm. You know? Uh, so, yeah. I mean, uh, how do we get to, to this topic? Uh, you know, being investigated by a fraud agency. Oh, yeah, being investigated by a fraud agency. Now yeah. we're talking about dopamine curve. But quickly back to spies. Have you yeah. read or listened about Jack Barsky, the KGB spy? No, I have not. Oh, really cool story. He's got a book and he's on various podcasts. I'm going to make um, sure you get this to me, by the way, the, the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try and post everything as well, um, the things I mentioned. But so he was he was recruited when he was in college, like when he was about 20. He was living in East Germany. He was, li- I can't, he was living in East or West Germany. Um, I can't remember which. And he got recruited by the KGB to go and spy on the other side of Germany. Um, he must have been in East Germany because that's a communist side. 
But anyway, well, they, so, well, they would go into the West and spy, and and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So he basically, and he got recruited. And he crazy. tells about the recruitment story um, of him basically like meeting this guy, and it went on for like a year. Um, and he had to kind of, he was given all these little tasks where he'd have to go up to someone's door and basically try and extract a load of information from a random person. Um, like pretend he was a student looking for information and basically like get all of their details about like everything they do and their marital status and all like right. those stuff like that and then like learn how to uh, to tail people learn how to like lose a tail um like someone following I'm getting you, not, so excited not physical listening tail. to this stuff um it's, it's, <laughs> it was actually really cool why um, is it why is it that this is so cool to us especially as guys i don't know i don't know it's, it's so, so weird cool. isn't it um, and i i get obsessed with this shit it like, is very cool. I, I've been recently obsessed with learning tactics for close quarters combat, you know, <laughs> just like all the different things. And I, and I happen to have a buddy that uh, knows a lot about this stuff because he works in, in that line of, of work. And, you know, I have so many questions for him and I'm almost embarrassed to call him up and be like, yo, dude, <laughs> uh, you know, when I, when I, <laughs> I and I have, I have a whole list of questions. It's freaking fascinating. I think as boys, we just want to go and you Be know play with play, play with play with guns. I I did grow up shooting uh, 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 here and there, mm. you know. Uh, it's so much fun. When we were like uh, around the time when I wanted to be an MI6, um, they it was the time when we had to do work experience at school. Like we have to do two weeks of work experience when we're like fifteen. Um, and someone in my school they arranged for these tactical firearms unit, and that's the like English version of the SWAT team. So these two people from the tactical firearms unit, they came in to give a talk to the people in the, the class in the year below me. And I had to like shadow them for a day. So I was like just taking them around and making them tea and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they said to me, they were both like, look, we get paid 50,000 pounds a year to drive fast cars and play with guns. And I was like <laughs> these two like 40 year old, you know, pretty well esteemed tactical firearms unit people. And they literally yeah. said in pretty much those exact words that to a little 15 year old boy. And I was like, that does sound pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't end up going down that path, but it was just, it was very exciting. There's another podcast that's just reminding me of um, that you're probably also like, um, it's called The Tunnel. And it's about these, I think there were students that tunneled from east to west Berlin mm. um, during the during the conflict. And it's just them, like how they tunneled literally under from one sort of, I think it was from one something to a factory anyway but they're just these random students who had a bit of a revolutionary streak within them and decided to risk their lives tunneling meanwhile there are other people tunneling around you and people searching for people that are tunneling and oh, you Jesus. might come into some sort of landmine or all these things but just the thought of tunneling literally digging a tunnel under yeah. the ground yeah. into enemy well enemy quote unquote yeah. um lines and yeah. then just having to like wander around and pretend like you're not from there and try and deliver a package or something like that. It's, it's like, craziness. Oh my God. And like, that's not even you can that go to prison ago. forever, be executed. The yeah. consequences are the ultimate. The ultimate consequence. consequence. And these people are like 20, yeah. 21 and I doing love it. that. Well, you know, special operations units in the military, a, a lot of these dudes are 21, 22, 20, uh, that go on deployment and do some of the craziest things. You know, these are young dudes extremely fit competitive like uh alpha type personalities you know leaders a lot of obviously there's a little bit of everything i'm guessing but 
just putting all that together, right? You get a bunch of dudes that are all uh, highly motivated to go do something, and you, you know, you teach them to a high level of expertise, and then you go put them in an environment where they can go operate. I mean, Jesus, it's like a, it's it's in, it's incredible. I, I I think that's why it's so fascinating, right? Is just the level of expertise and uh, the personality types, and then, uh, well, we like you know to think that it's also to accomplish good. And uh, I think for the most part, personally, I, t I believe that, that it is. I mean, maybe you have some CIA operatives doing stuff that is fucked up, uh, you know, but uh, I think there is plenty of fucked up stuff, but it can always the I think that the problem is when it comes down to morality is that everybody thinks they're right about everything. So one person's morals, like if, if you take some if you take emotion out of it, and you just do something based on logic like it's that that classic conundrum of if i do this 10 people will die but if i don't a thousand people will die therefore anything right. i do with these 10 people 100 percent justified because i'm still effectively saving lives but maybe i have to torture these 10 people to death to save 1000 people like that's an extreme example obviously but it's like those little situations but there's like a lot of things that both i mean all governments have done but one thing really sticks in my mind is um these experiments that were done in the u.s in about the 1950s somewhere around that mk ultra mk ultra is one of them oh, okay. um but i would say that that's even less um controversial um but this this was an experiment done with syphilis what they did was they went to an area which was a fairly depraved area full of mainly african-americans um like really low income yeah. and like most of them were kind of illiterate and all these type of things like they yeah. picked a specific area yeah. and what they did was they said okay we're going to inject you with syphilis um it's, and it's horrible it's um you you can then come to us for treatment for everything and we'll treat you for the rest of your lives we'll give you medical um for the rest of your lives and i imagine they gave them some sort of money as well but they said syphilis is incurable yeah. um so you'll have it for life but we'll give you a good life basically and we'll treat you you'll be fine so then they gave they gave syphilis to all these people and then they were treating them um and then one of them ended up going outside their little area where they lived and they you know had some sort of illness and they went to another doctor and the doctor was like oh you've got syphilis they were like yeah yeah i know it's incurable that like these people are treating me they're like no it's not incurable like we can give you penicillin and it'll get rid of it and they're like then it kind of like unwound this whole experiment and they'd basically been giving people syphilis to then study the effects of syphilis up to death because syphilis, if, yeah, if left up. untreated, will kill people. And this is going on at the same time, or around the same time, as the whole post-war Nazi trial um, whole situation was happening. And you have yeah. government being like, shame on you, shame on you. And they're doing the same type of experiments that the Nazi war criminals, or, you know, convicted war criminals were doing on... On, on prisoners obviously they weren't just like gassing and murdering loads of them but they were still right. experimenting and it's like it's crazy oh by no means am i denying that the governments of the western world uh, of our western democracies have done unethical things to its people and to the people of foreign nations i, I do not deny that one bit uh but my point but, uh, yeah but my, my point sorry to cut in my my point there was that obviously then if you justify that by saying, okay, we're going to give 50 people syphilis, but then we will pretty well understand the effects of syphilis, 
and that will save 50,000 people in the future. Right. It's like with pure logic, right. you can justify that. And I think that that's where morality comes into it because it's like, I, I, I was talking about this with someone recently, that as you move up the hierarchy of power right. in a lot of different fields, like the ones that are obviously often quoted is politicians and medical professionals as you move up the hierarchy of power there right. it, and lawyers as well it increases the chances of sociopathic tendencies right. you know lack of emotion um <laughs> which in order to get shit done like that to do those crazy experiments that's fine but there's no emotion in there and if you don't have that emotional connection, like what about these 50 people that are going to suffer? Well, and what about their families and all this? It's like, I, I hear you. conundrum. It's like, no, I hear you. But I think there's checks and balances, number one. And number two, I think that there's an entire culture behind, you know, military doctrine, doctrine that deals with, you know, how to conduct intelligence operations, uh, how to gather intelligence from people who are imprisoned and so on. And I'm not saying that people within these agencies and entities don't go outside of those lines, out of those guidelines, but I do think they exist and I do think the doctrine exists. And I mean, if you were to read uh, military doctrine of the United States military or of the military of, of, of the UK, right? Uh, you, I, I think you would see that that uh, it's very well-written doctrine and it's, it's uh, humane within the uh boundaries of how humane war can be which is it, it's never going to be humane this is another thing right you know we you know you're mentioning morality and we should strive as a responsible society and as a species to have moral standards uh but there are things that are going to occur where uh lines are going to get blurred mm -hmm. and in the in the in the case of war lines are blurred and, uh, yeah, you got to make, you know, the people who are in those situations make decisions in the midst of blurred moral lines. Uh, and, and then there are some things that are going to be very clear, right? I mean, you have, uh, you know, some of these famous, uh, you know, terrorists, let's say, skinning people alive on the streets in, in, in Iraq, you know, post-fall Saddam Hussein, or you might have, you know, ISIS you know, setting people, journalists, innocent journalists on fire. You know, those things are very clear. Okay, these guys need to be... Um, Turn it down a notch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need, to, you need to fight these people because it's, it's clearly something that needs to be uh, fought. And, and that's the unfortunate truth of, of the world and of the species, of our species. We're animals. Mm. This is an animal, we are part of the animal kingdom, and uh, unfortunately today we're not some super evolved species where now we can just we can just uh based on morals and uh you know ethics and and philosophy just orient the world in a way that's beautiful for everyone we're not at that stage you yeah. know we're still animals and there's still impulsive people people you know who grew up in unfortunate circumstances indoctrinated in a certain way and then the question is right who has the right doctrine who has the wrong one and the thing is uh we're not going to be able to answer that fully, right? I, I mean, uh, you and I can sit here and decide, you know what, killing people is, is wrong, and people who go around killing people need to be stopped, and if the only way to stop them is killing people, then maybe that's, that's acceptable. 
right? Maybe we, you and I can come to that conclusion, but then a Buddhist monk would be completely against that, let's say, perhaps. And then, you know, who's right, who's wrong? There's just different uh, schools of thought. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there is a right or wrong, really. You know, it's a matter of uh, opinion. And we're, we're a group of animals. I happen to be uh, a believer that, you know, people who are doing wrong need to be stopped at all costs, you know, depending on what they're doing, especially if they're, they're going out and harming people, innocent people. I think they need to be stopped. Uh, uh, and if that means, you know, taking their lives, I, you know, I, I think morally I would be okay. I, I, no, I don't think so. I, I'm certain. I think I'm absolutely certain that I'm okay with that. If you have a, if you have a mass shooter, I'm not going to be thinking, is it ethical to kill this person personally? I, you know, I would want someone to. Anyway, these are horrible things to think about. I, I, but I don't I think I, that it, it brings down my and my energy level because that... it's so horrible to. But but at the same time, they are important things to discuss. And 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 by no means uh, do I think there's a there's an objective standard here. No, uh, this is just personal opinion. Let's say this is something I've been um I've been struggling with over the past couple of years. Is this balance? I tend to fall between extremes of everything and I tend to I tend to go against the mainstream and the flow because that is the side that interests me more because I think what's obvious is obvious and easily understood but the other side of the argument you learn more about your you learn more about the obvious argument in my in in my case, I learned more about the obvious argument by yeah. studying the reverse argument of it. You know the the the, the far fetched ideas, the out there ideas. But I tend to fall on two extremes and then eventually meet in the middle, which is kind of what I'm finding in different aspects of my life with different um, issues that I'm pondering. And one of these issues is is has been war. Like I used to be of the same opinion as you, solidly. Um, for a long time you know it's it's dog eat dog you know it's if there's people out there that are causing damage and they are likely to cause damage to lots of people right. damage them like that you know it's kill or be killed if that's the only way to if stop that's them. the only way to stop it and yeah. it's kill or be killed basically right and you know i i would have been of the opinion that it, death is not in the grand scheme of things, the death of one person is not that, um, it's, it, how to put this without sounding like a turtle dick. Um, it's like not the, that big a deal. It's, We're it's all not that die. big a deal. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? The death of one I person in terms of 8 billion people, even the death of a thousand people in terms of the 8 billion global population, right. some people are born and their role in life is to die a soldier. That's their role. Um, that's what they are born into that's the path they go down right. and they will die a martyr you know i've always been attracted to this not attracted but yeah i've had some attraction to this idea of martyrdom you know and i i came from reading the bible when i was younger and you know martyrs are revered always absolutely um and they made there the is, ultimate they made the they ultimate, made the ultimate sa sacrifice it, we revere them in our societies yeah. right? the veterans that have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives to you know defend our way of life and I think that the people that go into that sort of career, they also revere that. And maybe part of them wants to be like posthumously recognized and to have this legacy go down in history and to be one of these fallen heroes. And that's great. And that's fine. 
but then I, I fell and this coincided with me myself falling mentally unwell um, and then I started to fall of the opinion of oh no you can't hurt anyone um, and I then I spent a while living as if that were true and experiencing that no we can't hurt anyone we must like not hurt animals not eat animals not do anything yeah. you know avoid hurting anyone at all costs um not be in anyone else's country interfering with them um right. leave everybody to sort their own stuff out and focus on you know your own country and what you're doing and i explored that side and a bit more of the you know the the buddhist philosophy of just don't harm anything right and and that and again don't step on a leaf don't step on a you yeah. know don't step on a leaf brush the ants out of the way and yep I didn't get quite that extreme, but near enough that extreme yeah. um, of like not hurting, a, literally not hurting a fly. And I remember right. I was like, um, yeah, there was like a fly in the shower or something. And then it went under and I, I felt so guilty because my shower had hurt that fly. <laughs> and then I rescued it. And I was like trying to dry this little fly with a, with, with a little um, with a little uh, piece of like toilet paper. And then I was trying to like blow it and wait for it to be able to fly off. And it did. And I felt satisfied. But then afterwards, I was like, what are you doing, Connor? That was ridiculous. Like, it is a fly. But then I did feel so guilty about it. And um, and then now I've kind of swung a little bit back. And I'm like, I don't eat meat. Um, and I'm and that's fine. But I don't necessarily think eating meat is wrong. You know, like I've made that choice for myself. I think that overconsumption of meat and mistreating animals is not a good thing. And that's unfortunately what happens in the majority of cases yeah um and that should be avoided but the, the actual act of eating meat i don't think is wrong but then it's also brought me back to this you know now i've been doing a little bit more research and listening to things about war and understanding it and being like okay people you know we, we think of people as in our own little bubble of people as that are fairly similar to us like let's not hurt these people but it's like you kind of forget that some people are extremely messed up yeah. in terms of what they will go to, right. the lengths they will go to, and just their concept of what of how much a life is worth. You know, and it yes. was something I was listening to. I can't remember what it was, but it, it made the the amazing point of, you know, like in London we have a lot of stabbings. There's not a huge amount of shootings in America because gun, as as in America because guns aren't as accessible, but England. Is... Yeah, you can't have a gun as a as a as a citizen automatically, right? In in England. Yeah, you can. You can get a gun if you want it if you want it for like hunting and stuff. Yeah, uh, but you can't but it get has or, to be through hunting. Or yeah, it, yeah. You can't you get can't... like you can't get like a, an assault rifle. Um, you well, can get like a definition of assault rifle. But yeah, can I buy a pistol in England? I'm an I'm an English citizen, and I want to have a pistol at home, a Glock. Uh... I think so. Yeah, I think you can go and get really? like a. I think you can get like a a, a pistol license. Um, you can definitely get shotguns we and need... rifles. Um, Sorry to interrupt. We need one of these uh, people that looks up stuff yeah, yeah, for yeah. us. You know, you gotta go. But I, I'm pretty sure you can. Like, if you can kidding. prove you've got a real reason for it, right. and you and because people do like shooting, you know, that is a thing. Um, and if you can get a shotgun, I imagine you can get a pistol, um, and you can 100% get shotguns and rifles um, for shooting, like hunting. Um, oh. But it brought me back to. You have a like London's got huge immigrant population and you have different neighborhoods, as I suppose is in America, different neighborhoods where you'll have 
one Jewish neighborhood, one that's a neighborhood that's mainly yeah. Caribbean, one neighborhood which is mainly uh, East African. And then you have people that come from different countries all blended in the same cities. And each of those people has an idea of what violence is. You know, so for an English person who is involved in gang life, maybe stabbing is yeah. the is the level of what you do. And maybe that person dies, but, you know, you, you're stabbing with a little small blade. Then you get someone come over from Somalia and it's perfectly okay to hack people apart with machetes, Machete. yeah. you know? And like, right. I even saw the videos in Barcelona, in Raval, in the middle of the day, Yeah, what looked like, I think they're Moroccan, um, yeah. Because there was a lot of Moroccan people there, and I think it yeah. was a gang fight. And there was famously gangs and, and Moroccan gangs in, in Revolt. Yeah. yeah in and so, um, hacking each other with machetes in the middle of the day in a small little street where Damn. regular people walk when past. When this happened? This would have been just pre COVID, I think, or three years ago, maybe. But I've seen more than one video of that happening machete attacks in Barcelona, yeah. in Raval, where I live. Um, yeah. You live in Raul. No, you live no. in Pablo. I live in Gracia. In Gracia, yeah. Um, but then again, like to us, that's like, what? Like machetes. But to them, that's what they do. That's how they settle their debts. Yeah. Like, you know, that's how they settle their problem. And in some ways, like, is that a better in terms of reducing public harm? Because they're not going to machete attack us. They're right. machete attacking each other to solve right. their debt. And at the end of the day, if these people involved in these gangs start macheting each other, right? Who cares? You know, and like, I hear like, you. like I hear there, you. There, there's that argument, but it just brings me down to like, these people just they do not. And I saw, oh, this is rough. Actually, my friend sent me um, a photo. I think it was, um, I think it, it was like uh, this series of videos in England that happened recently, um, and someone like pulls out a car, and then they start fighting. They were like hacking at each other with these like. Look like a, a a mini scythe, um, and then the guy has like chopped half his like big chunk out of his leg, and then it shows the photo at the bottom of this a, a video of this guy tied up. And then they cut his ears off, and they say like someone's name, you're next, or something like that. And then the the final photo is someone who's been totally cut apart, dead, and thrown in a ditch, and they they've like their legs, head, and everything's been cut apart. And I was just thinking to myself like what and apparently it was because this guy had killed someone else then he was released on bail and then they killed him and then chopped him apart and threw him in a ditch and i was just thinking like how what goes through the person's head to be able to actually chop someone apart throw him in a ditch like that is some level of sadism yeah for sure and revenge you know it's I crazy think, i think the the idea that as a government a government can pass laws that will let's say eliminate violence is just totally wrong you know mm -hmm. you know we tend to think oh if we make knives illegal now there won't be no it won't be any more stabbings i i don't think that these decisions should be made from the standpoint of let's just get rid of violence like i i think that's just a, a, a you know a fallacy you're it, it i would love to sit here with you and think <laughs> that we can design a society where the dude getting hacked and thrown in a ditch doesn't happen. We can pass the perfect laws that'll or that'll minimize it or whatever it is, um, or eliminate it altogether. But I don't think it's possible. I think violence will continue to exist. What if just had this thought? What if you have a place that's uh, 
similar to the red light district in Amsterdam, where it's like legalized and Hunger um, Games or no uh, similar the um, purge, the purge, yeah, yeah, uh, like you know an area or a dojo or something like that where people can go. And I don't think it's a good idea. Tests. No, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it should continue to be illegal, but I think we should also keep in mind. I, I, you know, I'm a very, I'm very much a believer that the government should keep its nose out of a lot of things. I think government should be minimal in many ways. Maybe I'm a bit of a libertarian or a, a bit of a more of America's version of of conservative in that regard. That uh, in, in the U.S conservatives roughly speaking believe in the minimization of government and government should just allow for a more lawless uh interaction between companies right if believe the conservatives believe more in the free market yeah that's for the example same in the UK. uh and then the liberals are no 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 let's go in and you know set up all these rules and make sure that all these rules are being enforced and you know we're going to force people to pay x amount of tax and then with that tax we have to do all these things and 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 I'm and I'm liberal in some ways. I'm conservative in other ways. But when it comes to this kind of thing, because you're not going to eliminate violence, uh, I'm a bit more of the conservative type. Where I say, you know what, just um, don't don't, uh, don't try to restrict. Yeah, don't try to restrict people so much. I, that's my opinion. I think that we could have a debate on this. Uh, anybody, any two people could sit down and have a debate on this for hours. Um, it's just a personal thought of mine, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's unfortunate that there is violence, but I think there will continue to be violence, and uh, and then the question is, uh, what do we do about it? And especially in places where you know police, police will show up in minutes when your life depends on seconds, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in a in a, in an active shooter scenario, minutes are way too long to wait for untrained police unfortunately untrained police to show up and come and and, and not take down the 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 shooter it's just not as uh when I mean, we're going into specifics now which is very easily going to can easily throw us into you know um pondering what solutions are to such horrific scenarios but uh you know i think it, i think the solution comes from a society as a whole it's a cultural solution of people stepping up and, and being able to uh, themselves uh, be empowered and protect themselves from such things. Unfortunately, we have nuclear weapons in the world. We have guns in the world. We have swords in the world, or, you know, machetes, and we have violence in the world. That's unfortunate. I, I, it's, it's saddening, but it's the reality, and we have to live within that reality. And, you know, we can, we can sit here and try to figure out which way is best to live within that reality but we're not going to get rid of that reality and i think that a lot of people wishful thinking why from a wishful thinking standpoint think you know if we ban guns there won't be any more gun violence and this and the the, the data at least in the u.s suggests that that's probably actually the exact opposite if you ban guns in the u.s there's probably going to be more gun violence right it's just totally counterintuitive uh, I don't know about that. We, we, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, like I've, I've studied. I've studied. Looked into this a lot, a lot, and I think we can do another episode on, <laughs> on that, um, because it's very complex. But uh, certainly, certainly, there's data on these kinds of things, and it's very, it's very compelling. And once again, sitting and debating, you know, it's it. It requires a bit of study. Um, but do you know how many mass shootings the UK has? 
Zero. Right. Yeah, but mass most countries have zero mass. Now shootings. we're going into the debate, folks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. But mass shootings isn't the thing that is at the at the nearly as. Uh, it, it's not the thing that makes up most of gun violence in the U.S. Not even close, right? So, yeah, but most so, countries don't really have gun violence. Like, so, it's very minimal. Most, like, Western European countries this have is, minimal. We're, we're, we're going into a discussion, <laughs> a rabbit hole, because, you know, this is always the argument that comes from my European friends. And, uh, and the fact is that there, there's uh, a lot of uh, information there to be understood that I think is just generally not understood out here because the problem doesn't exist out here for, yeah, that's for, true. Reason, for reasons that are... Uh, I think mainly historic, um, but the point is that the the solution's not as easy as a lot of my beloved friends, you included. Uh, oh, I don't think, think it's it easy. Is. No, for certainly well, now well, because you're, you're in the situation now where you have them. Right, but so it's like when you already have a shit ton of them, right, and you ban them, right. But th that doesn't really solve the problem. Whereas it's like in somewhere else, virtually, you know, somewhere like the UK, regular people don't have guns so it's like you could ban guns and it's only going to affect a fraction of pe a tiny fraction of people because the ones that do hunting and shooting and they would probably still be allowed the, the, to have them the right to bear arms in the u.s has nothing to do with hunting and shooting no recreationally. i know but it i thought to, the, 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 it has to do with the balance of power it has to do with the people being the ones that govern that's the principle and we can sit here and say oh it's an ancient principle 200 the democracy has existed uh for 250 years or so and and, uh, you know, it's time for things to change. And I, I, you know, we can agree or disagree, but that's the reason, right? You know, in Europe, these the, the countries in Europe and Western Europe, you know, we're talking about monarchies or dictatorships that had full grip on power and slightly, slightly released that grip. And people are now happy because that grip of power has been released to a certain extent, but it was never really... Uh, and some of these, a lot of these countries, a, a huge, complete overthrow, uh, like it was in the U.S., right? I mean, it, in the U.S., it was literally the people rising up against the monarchy uh, that was there and, you know, people defeating with the help of the French and defeating this. And, and the, the, one of the basic principles was the people have to have the ability to govern themselves and defend themselves. And, and, and to this day, I do think it is relevant. It's relevant in a different way than it was 250 years ago. Uh, you'll see with dictatorships uh, that turn into dictator dictatorships in more modern times, you know, with the Philippines, for example, uh, this uh, dictator in the 60s, I think it was, one of his first things when he came into power was, you have 10 days to turn in all your guns, and if you don't, you will be executed, and the ones that didn't were executed on the streets, right? It's the first, that's the first thing you do if you want to have a, a, a total control of the population. You know, in, in, in places like China, for example, where, you know, people are, mass surveillance is horrific. You know, you have the Uyghurs being, experiencing genocide at the, at the level of millions of people being in these re-education camps or whatever mm. it is, which are work camps and sterilization camps. They, they enforce sterilization on women, which is one of the definitions of genocide by the uh, standards of the United Nations. I think there's four different definitions of genocide. Uh, by the standards of the United Nation, you know, some thing that they've all decided upon what is going to be uh, called genocide. China's committing those, mm. you know, to and and those kinds of things uh, are the things that occur in populations where 
people don't have the right to bear arms. And in, in the case of uh, in the case of uh, Europe today, right, how it is today specifically, it's working quite well in the countries where uh, people don't have that right to have their own weapons. But I think it's a metastable state. It's an unstable state, uh, historically speaking. And, you know, maybe the UK will never be a dictatorship or monarchy again. Maybe, you know, Spain will never be a, a, a Franco-style dictatorship again. Uh, probably not. Maybe not. Who knows? You never know. But uh, but the point is the point is that um, the check and balance there is that the people are able to to have that kind of power uh, to not let it ever happen. And the thing is that it does happen. It has happened historically where you have a a peaceful, stable um, government that is ethically treating its people and then that gets overthrown and then you have a dictatorship and now everybody's getting screwed left and right and they and if they can't defend themselves it's going to be like that permanently until somebody else from the outside comes in and does something about it uh so yeah i, I don't know this is me being more of a libertarian in some ways right you know it's for me it's like fuck off you know if if you if the police can have it I, I should be able to have it i i'm i'm paying the police anyway with my taxes uh yeah, but again, but, we can debate it. We can no, debate like, it forever. <laughs> the, the, when, whenever the whenever the right to bear arms things comes up, that I I can't help but remember in Family Guy where where they, where they, he says like, I wonder if we got this wrong. And then it's like the con that when they're doing the constitution, it's like, no, you have the right to hang bear arms bear on arms. the wall, and that, that always makes <laughs> me laugh. The right but to bear arms. Like I I I get like what you're saying makes sense, and I. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you because I don't claim to know anything about gotcha. America or gun law or even the public sentiment over there towards it. I know that some people want it, some people don't. That's all I know, basically. But obviously just coming from... a, a It's basically America is the only country, really, where guns are that popular. It's, and it's like, I, I understand what you're saying about they want to like make sure that they can't be like controlled by a dictatorship and a monarchy and all these different types of things but um ultimately i don't think you know, the public could probably put up an okay fight yeah. but the military's gonna win because they can just come along and yeah, blast that's, that's... you all to death like that's the thing so it's like i don't that's why i don't think it's necessarily that relevant now you know in and and to be able to to revolt back in the day to have a gun instead of a pitchfork, you know, would have been a huge advantage and would probably make you feel pretty empowered. Um, but now, I I don't think that the argument is as relevant as it once was. But again, if it keeps people happy, fine. Um, but then I suppose it's just one of those things that if you've got if if everyone's got guns and they're easily accessible then there's going to be gun, gun violence. I'm, di just, I'm uh, dying to interrupt you so much yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, may I? Yeah, yeah, of course. Go. Um, yeah, the thing about, you know, the military can easily defeat the U.S. population in a face-off. I, I don't think that's a good argument because the point is that if things get to that point uh, of conflict, we already, we're already fucked. Right. Like that. The point is that it doesn't get to that point of, of conflict to begin with. And part of the way it doesn't is the fact that the current government knows that people can rise up. And right now, that like, but do the, you think that's a genuine concern of the government? I think it's always a genuine concern when you have a small group of people governing over a large group of people that that small group of people knows 
that if they're not going to have it easy if they want to start doing things that are just inhumane to the to to the large group of people. But bef before before being concerned about the public rising up, you'd want to be concerned about the military rising up. The military because, will like, not. That's not. No, I I I like uh, the way the way that the 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 hierarchy of command works mil military doctrine i believe that it is virtually impossible for let's say the military to just go rogue and be like no we're just going to start committing mass atrocity that's uh you know we we're touching up on so many things where we can just dive deep so hard you know we, military doctrine is incredibly uh extensive and complex and philosophical as well as practical and uh you know we can get into this and and i'm not an expert by any means but uh, you know uh you know the command structure itself exists for a reason and it and it works very well uh in the u at least in the u.s military i'm obviously in the uk military in, in the uk as well um but uh yeah the the other one i had another point that when i when i said i wanted to interrupt hmm. you uh there's the the fact that okay the military destroying a, a armed militia is easy I don't think it's relevant for the reason I just said, you know, that wouldn't get to that point of conflict because the government knows that it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't go well from even right from the beginning. Right. You wouldn't have a total control. I, I don't know. But the, it, but, it's but, certainly but it's certainly to, to it doesn't make it impossible. It makes it far, far unlikely versus but to count, it being but, much more likely. But to counter that, if you don't a, give a, them a that tyrannical right. leader, yeah. I don't think a tyrannical leader yeah. would be concerned about an uprising right. when they have the military on their side that's the that that is my opinion that if there were a tyrannical leader that came in right. and he wanted to just ultimate power right. maybe world domination you know the the type of leader that would that it would you know it would need an, a new hitler or a new stalin that would have to come in to to the us to then cause this level of discontent Wait. Which is why there are many checks and balances in the democracy, and the the only one the the right to bear arms is not the only check and balance in the democracy. Yeah, I know, but what US. I'm saying is that I don't that like the the argument of the 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 government keeps in check because they're concerned about the people people have got arms and they are weapons not and arms. Um, but they've they've got they've got two arms and weapons. Um, some of them. So there's yeah, true. Actually, <laughs> sorry, sorry to those people. Um, <laughs> yeah, some people have no arms but weapons. Um, but um, to for 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 the government to be uh, to c be concerned about an uprising because people have got weapons as opposed to not having weapons, I don't think that a tyrannical government would that would be their concern. I don't think that stepping out of like i don't think that they would not step out of line because they'd be like oh god people have got weapons Again, several checks and balances not just the one not just the one of people having guns but but people having guns would be part of the checks and balances because if if you have a if the democracy gets so fucked up that it gets completely overthrown by a, a an authoritarian regime you have bigger problems now obviously mm. but even if that were to happen let's say it's it's a domestic uh, internal dictator, whoever it is, uh, you know, from within takes over total power, right? And this person is now directing, let's say, the police forces to go and execute anyone who's not giving, who's who's not paying, uh, following orders. Try going and sending police in Texas 
to to go kill people who are not following the dictator's orders in Texas. Those people, those people will not be forced to live under that tyranny unless you fucking kill them with with missiles and and so on. Uh, so again, part of the mm-hmm. checks and balance, it's not uh, right to bear arms is by no means the way that you prevent. Uh, the only way you prevent, or the main way you prevent the dictatorship, it's one of the ways that you empower the people uh, to fight off uh, tyranny. I would, then, say, it may, I would other, say it makes it, more sense, though, from an external threat as opposed to internal threat that, of tyranny. That also. Because it, it makes more sense if everyone's got weapons um, and the army has every weapons. Every single yard every, of land is then, protected by a machine gun. Yeah, then it means that <laughs> right. if, if another country wants to come in, it's like they've got to fight the army and like 200 million Americans. And babies that have got weapons. Also, I think the mass shooting thing is not uh, so much a uh, right to bear arms issue as it is a, a mental health issue. Obviously, there are things that need to be done legislatively to prevent these things uh, better. Uh, but I don't think taking away people's guns is a solution. Actually, I think freeing up people's ability to carry arms in public would be part of the solution. Um, again, we can debate this all day. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I think data suggests that if you, first of all, if you were to, if you were to confiscate, like, let's take a magic wand and you're to confiscate all the legally owned, uh, weapons in the United States, just magically, I think mass shootings would continue because you have a bunch of illegally owned ones. Sure. They're hard to get, uh, but people can get them. And not only that, um, but then you have this, the the mass knives problem. Then you have other things, uh, you know, uh, and then you're dealing with the fact that now you've eliminated that check that that empowerment of the people. Uh, yeah, it, you know, I think there's there's so much we can discuss. It's better if we do our homework because I don't mm-hmm. have data right now. I don't have numbers, you know, and uh, but, but I, I have ultimately at those those I have num- looked at ultimately yeah. though those the the data about that is hypothetical data because it doesn't exist like that is it's hypothetical data because you can't come you can't compare what um, what the u.s would be like without weapons no 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 that's when... not what I, that's not what i mean by data i'm talking about if you look at the occurrences of gun violence case by case yeah, yeah, yeah. and you look at the patterns people. you look at the patterns of these things and from that you determine what kind of legislation would prevent mass shootings and what kind wouldn't uh from there you can start drawing conclusions and i you know in the past years in the past not recently but maybe five years in the past i really dove into this and looked into it and i remember at the time concluding that you know if you were to actually ban guns it would actually not help at all uh i would love to do my homework on this because now i'm speaking as a person that you know uh doesn't have these these opinions well formed on uh, data anymore because I just forgotten a lot of this. I d- d- looked at it, you know, for a, a few weeks. I remember studying this stuff in detail. But uh, I the point my point is that it's not as trivial as thinking, oh, uh, you know, the mass shootings is happening directly as is a, as a result of uh, people having the right to to having guns. Switzerland has more guns than people. People have uh, people have guns in Switzerland, and they have you know how many homicides a year like 10 or whatever it is it's not, it's not many right so so clearly switzerland uh, is doing something differently that works and it has nothing to do with people not having guns 
and that's that that's that's just an example right and 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 uh you know things are very different in different places i mean just geographically the u.s is a, a very different place in switzerland uh you know famously switzerland has explosives on all of the bridges that go into switzerland they have no military and that's their only form of defense so that if they get invaded they just blow up the bridges so every time you drive into switzerland over a bridge somebody in the government can blow up that bridge <laughs> that's pretty cool right? um yeah i just want to clarify yeah. I, i'm not what i'm not saying is that guns need to be banned in the u.s because that is not possible that's you know you can but you if can it were you can, but, but if it were possible you would think that would be the right move um i think that I don't know enough about the sentiment of the people to no, be able to be able no, to. No, 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 not sentiment of. Pe I'm talking pure pragmatic wise. Do you think that if it were possible to magically remove guns, regardless of of consideration of sentiment of the people, would that eliminate mass shootings in the U.S.? Um, I would say that it would would probably have a big impact on reducing them, if you could magically that, because. Because, That's where we need to do homework. Because because my point is that say you have someone that's got tendencies towards mass shootings. This person, for whatever reason, he decides he wants to mass shoot someone. Yeah. If you're in a country where you can't go and just buy a gun, you have to go through a lot more steps in order to be able to fulfill your fantasy as opposed to just flipping one day, Personally, picking up I'm your not gun against, and I'm not against uh, putting in more steps. I, I think there needs to be gun reform in the U.S. 100%. I, I don't think that the laws that exist today are sufficient to minimize the threat of, of people who've decided to commit these evil acts of, of violence. 100% uh, laws need to change. But I, I think we, we, we ought to be careful of what we think will, will be a solution and what we think uh, will really minimize because it, it's not intuitive and it's not obvious. Um, no, and that's why that's why like I I wouldn't I, I I don't feel able to give a solution for it. It's just obviously coming from like in coming from Europe, yeah. guns are just not on most people's minds. They're just not like I don't I know one person who does shooting like professionally, yeah. um, but ultimately I've never seen or touched a real gun. And if you speak to most people. Right. They'll tell you that. Yeah. And so the, the, it, it, unless you get involved in gang culture right. um, in certain places where there are high gun crime in specific places, right. then guns are not a part of everyday life. Therefore, it's not something that you would reach for in a state of crisis. And if you don't right. have a gun readily available when you're going through a period of crisis, right. then logically pragmatically to me that will reduce the amount of you know some people enter a moment of rage for example my girlfriend went to america one month no this month um they pulled they landed in um i think they landed at atlanta airport um and they came out of the airport and they had a gun pulled on them in the car that would not happen in, that's, in that's, Europe, that's terrifying. Yeah, and that just, it just wouldn't happen. And they, but, they nothing came of it. They had to duck and everything. Nothing came of it. But what but, did? But, but what did happen in Europe was the Nazis taking over and and and, true. You know, and, and I know I'm making true, the true. most cliche like old school argument, but th but that's the thing that 
the U.S. has existed for 250 years as a democracy, and it's true. There's slavery, there's the genocide of, of uh, Native Americans and so on. Uh, I'm not denying that, there, that there's been wrongdoing in the U.S. by any means. I mean, we can sit here and, and criticize a lot of stuff uh, that the U.S. government has been responsible for over the centuries. But, but the point is, you know, it, it, maybe you don't get the, uh, a gangster pulling a gun on your head on the streets uh, in, in Europe uh, today, right? But the way things are oriented, if another Hitler were to come along, another Hitler could, could take over. And it would be much easier, I think, than in Texas, for example. Um, but it, we, 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 I'm telling you, we can go on forever on no, this No, no, I, I agree with you that like, <laughs> it would be very difficult for someone to go and take over a state. And the U.S. is relatively unique in the sense of that you have all the individual states which have their own individual laws. Europe are different countries right. with different languages, right. totally different cultures. Of course, each American state has its own like mini culture, but it's yeah. like Europe, you, you have, there's a lot of differences um, Absolutely. In, in Europe. And yeah, you could have another dictator coming along, but again, it's kind of been there before twice. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where I, I think that the likelihood of them being able to turn enough people, you know, there is a rise of extreme right wing uh, ideology at the moment. And there are more people turning back to these all, you're, ideas. You're betting all your cards on that it won't happen again. And and, and it's happened in, in times where people thought it would never happen again. Yeah, but you still have the military of which like you, you would have to have you'd have to have the Hitler take over. The military of one country. That's, that's what he um, did. Yeah, which is what he did. And then you would have to have that military then fight all the other militaries of Europe. Or that new Hitler would have to then um, coerce, coerce yeah. the other countries into joining him. Yeah. And if he's able to coerce all the other countries into joining him, then something is seriously wrong. If all the other countries, enough of the other countries are joining in, to then be able to face off not just the EU and NATO and the UN, but like those things were all created as safeguards to stop it happening again. So you are putting all your cards on it, but it's like even the fact that no one else has guns, you still have to fight all the other. It's like military versus military. And one country's military isn't going to defeat like 50 I, countries' militaries. I don't, I don't trust even all these governments enough to, to not start becoming tyrannical at some point in history oh yeah it's the, just that gov governments can I, become I, I don't, tyrannical. I don't, I don't have a i don't have enough trust that's it and and it, we're talking about a small group of powerful people and uh part of what keeps them in line is knowing that they serve the the people and it's the people who have the the say at the end of it and look i'm not saying that it works perfectly in in the u.s but but at least in principle that's the thought process but and, I, and I, I like that thought process but I, I i have i don't have a huge amount of faith in governments in general because of the nature of what i mentioned the nature of people high in power to exactly. be more likely to be sociopathic exactly. um so i don't have total faith in them however i also would not put my faith in potentially living next to someone who is mentally disturbed and owns a gun um, That's why you got to get a gun and train and know how to use your gun, <gasps> and hope and hope that we are able to pass laws that keep people who are insane 
from well, it's, it's from not just people them. who are insane but what about you you're then giving guns to not just insane people but uh, maybe other sociopathic people maybe people who have anger problems maybe people who are intellectually challenged yeah. um so they are unable to potentially understand good from bad maybe they're unable to um again that's why you got i know you just laughed right now because it sounds ridiculous to you but i was serious like i think and i'm not i'm not like I, I'm serious. I think if uh, like your protectional, your own personal protection is your responsibility first, and not the cops' responsibility, or uh, you know, making sure you have a population that is completely unarmed, and now you have a situation where the balance of power is totally fucked. Uh, look, once again, we're not going to get rid of violence. No, uh, we're not going to get rid of it. And and there's. But if the be people different... don't have guns, then you don't need a gun to protect yourself. That that's what it ultimately comes they, down to. They can to. have knives, and I I would rather have a bring a gun to a knife fight. Yeah, but like for example, here or in England, you run the risk of someone pulling a knife on you. Yeah, and then if yeah. they want my mobile, I'll give them my mobile. That's, that's not fine. a good argument for banning guns, my dude. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> no, it's not. It's the first. It's the first no, rule. It's, it's, the first rule. it's the, like in Krav Maga. It's mortal hand-to-hand combat. They say if someone pulls a knife on you, run. The reason why we none of us should have guns is if a robber comes, I'll just do whatever he says. That's not a good reason. I'm sorry. I think it is. No, it's not. <laughs> if someone pulls a knife on you and you pull your gun out, yeah, one of you right. is gonna die, yeah. or gets severely wounded. If sure. someone pulls a knife on you and potentially both what if somebody, of you, what if somebody, what if somebody uh, pulls a knife to, li- knife on me just because they like killing people with knives, then what? Then you're fucked. Yeah. Then you're exactly. fucked. But that, exactly. But, but that. Exactly. But that is what happens to a very small percentage. And of... we're back to the mass shooting thing. It's a small percentage of of gun violence. Look, the most of gun deaths in the U.S. are suicide, oh. over half, which is horrific. I think we should uh, have a, what's it called? Uh, Euthanize? Yeah, euthanize, yeah. Euthanasia. I think we should have that. Uh, That's most of gun deaths. Then it's gang violence, right? Your your scenario of just let them uh, settle these things. And most of the guns being used there are are illegally owned, by the way. Uh, and, And so you have the, like overwhelmingly the vast majority of legally owned guns being used legally in the u.s overwhelmingly i mean the the amount of legally owned guns that are used illegally is negligible percentage wise yeah right? i 100 so, so, believe so, that. So, so the most of the gun deaths are suicide which is people who willingly wanted to die and then the second one is gang violence where people are using guns illegally like guns are owned illegally or being used illegally right but like illegal ownership right so then now taking all the legal owner legally owned guns away it's not going to affect those things mass shootings yeah a lot of them were legally owned a lot of those ones because a lot of them are just normal and that's why we and that's why i think we should address it legislatively i think there should be gun reform but taking away that right and that balance of power from the vast majority of people who are using these things in an ethical and legal way um you know, sacrificing uh, that kind of empowerment of the people to try to solve a problem that is a very, 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 very small sliver of uh, legally owned guns and their misuse, mi- misuse, right? It's just, I, I think it's it's inefficient. It's wrong in terms of taking people's rights away, in my opinion, right? And uh, 
And it's probably not even going to solve the problem fully because that person that's, that wants to go kill people, okay, I'm not going to be able to use my dad's gun or I'm not going to be able to buy a gun at, at, uh, at the gun store. I'm just going to go to the local gangsters and buy a gun and that's that, right? And now nobody has guns and nobody can defend themselves until the police show up. Oh, and the police isn't even trained well. So, yeah, I, you know, in Indiana recently, there was a, a shooting horrific once again. Uh, where this dude is coming out of the bathroom with a with a with a rifle, right? And uh, he's going out of the bathroom into the into the um, food court where people are eating. But he doesn't actually make it into the food court because somebody across like forty yards away sees him. He's carrying concealed legally, pulls his weapon, shoots him, and kills him. Of course, he's a twenty-two-year-old guy. Uh, who was able to make that shot, which means he's been training, because that's not an easy shot. 40, 40 yards is a, is, a, is, a, is a challenging shot, especially with a pistol in a crowded area under adrenaline rush. That is a very difficult shot for your standard person. And that person was able to eliminate the threat. Unfortunately, the, 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 the perpetrator uh, did manage to kill, I think it was three people, but he would have killed maybe 30 or 40 people if that didn't happen. So there you go. And and again, I'm not saying, hey, this is the this is beautiful that this happened, but but it's a way to start to change the culture to start changing this culture of 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 uh, mass shooting violence that's happening. The other thing is, you know, a mass shooter goes to places where people are not going to be armed typically, right? They're going to schools where people are not going to be armed. That's part of what they do. Predators prey on the weak. Right. That's what they do. They look for places where people they're not going to go into a police station where everybody's armed and do a mass shooting. Why don't why do they always go to movie theaters instead of a police state? There might be just as many people in a police station, but it's because people have guns. Right. You're not going to go kill a bunch. Of, you're going to get shot before you kill anyone. So, again, that's that's, uh, you know, if, if we start changing the culture in a way where people start taking more responsibility for their own protection. Uh, I think it could make a difference. I don't think that'll be the only thing that would that would help. I think there needs to be uh, more serious psychological checks, maybe a licensing thing process that happens in order to own a gun. There's always the argument that that's a slippery slope. That's how you eliminate eliminate people's rights to to guns. I I I'm sorry. I think that uh, you know that that is true, but I I don't think that it's worth uh, you know. Uh, not doing anything. Yeah, like I think licensing process the same way that you need a driver's license to drive a car should probably be in order. Again, I'm not an expert, but uh, definitely. Yeah, and again, I want to say. And in Switzerland, it doesn't happen, and that's that's how it works, by the way. Go ahead. And again, yeah, and again, I want to say I'm not advocating here for banning guns because I don't think that that's yeah. not a viable solution in any way. And it's like other countries don't ban guns people just aren't don't feel the need to get guns in the first place well you they know? never had them in the first place there were monarchies that released their grip or dictatorships that released their grip they weren't a, a population of people that overthrew you know something completely on their own right like like uh, in, in the case of in the case of uh nazi germany it was the soviets the british and the americans with with others uh that defeated hitler people had to come from the outside to save europe um Franco died. He was a dictator or ruling with an iron fist until he died of old age or whatever it was. You know, he he he, he ruled from 1937, I think it was, to 1974, executing people for not 
you know, agreeing you know, for not liking him, you know, persecuting the, the Catalans famously uh, here in Catalonia. We know we hear about that. Uh, you know, this man just died. Right. And now people here, they don't have guns, not because of somebody made the right decision to not give guns in the first. Place. It's because literally it was never existent because this used to be a dictatorship. Um, this is just a very different historical um, process. But in, but like in, in England, for example, uh, you know, like I mentioned, you can get a gun. I can go and get a gun right. if I want. Right. I don't know. You probably have to fill in some forms and then get your license and then you can get a gun. Right. You can't carry that on the street. Right. Um, but you can go, you know, if you're traveling to and from a place, right. you can take that and then you can go into like a, a shooting range or you can go hunting in specific hunting right. places or whatever. And you can use a gun for, for like hunting purposes and, um, or you can just have it sat on your wall. So, um, and that's, and you know what I mean? It's like that. My, my point is here that I'm not saying ban guns because banning anything doesn't right. work ever. Right. But your argument is more arm everyone and then yeah. that will hopefully Absolutely. get rid of the problem not hopefully um, i think it would and i it, just don't think it would i just so, don't think so, that like i don't think that it the the the, the mind people of a, being uh, the in mind charge of, a mass, of their own protection yeah, but would. the mind of a yeah but you're, you're 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 assuming a very high level of competence of everyone absolutely, absolutely. You, you might be a very highly competent person but a lot of people we're, are not competent we're, we're at anything. We're talking about uh, ifs, right? If people are able to get themselves that competent, but I'm not, not saying I'm not saying not. in practical. That's the thing. That's uh, the... You know, I, I believe that they I, I believe that they can be. I don't know if that it'll happen. I don't I don't I don't I'm I'm not very confident that it would happen. That this cultural change would happen. But I'm saying that if it would, I think it would solve the problem to a large extent. I think another thing a, is a cultural well, change that I can that and again this I, is like. A utopic cultural example, but it's like the the opposite side of arm everyone would be explain to people that to just to remove for for one remove the abundance of gun shops for two remove the wouldn't help advertising think. and marketing towards guns you know um that would certainly help in, redu in reducing the amount of guns that are bought. So can um, I, I really want to interrupt because yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't finish my, my, oh, my response. No, no worries. Um, no, I'm going to push back on you hard and you push back on me hard and this, how this goes, you're a dear friend of mine. And, uh, that's, that's no need to say sorry or anything like that. Um, no, but, uh, uh, you're mentioning in England that, you know, you can have gun, the, the way in which gun uh, ownership works. I think that in the U.S., if you were to, again, we're talking hypotheticals, right? These are all thought experiments you, are, you and I are conducting right now. If in the U.S. you were to magically replace uh, all the gun laws with the, Brit the British gun laws, right? I don't think that would get rid of mass shootings. There's a cultural thing that's happening, a, psych a, a mental health thing that's happening that needs to be addressed. Yeah. You, in, in England, in theory, somebody could take their shotgun you know, take a 12 gauge to a shopping mall in London, right? They're hunters or whatever. And they, and they go and, and start sh shooting people with their shotgun. That could happen, but it doesn't happen. There's something about mental health that's not occurring. That crisis is not occurring in England. Uh, there's something about culture, whatever it is, it's not occurring in England. But if you were to replace those gun laws again in the U.S. with the English ones, it probably would continue to occur. But are you saying then that the U.S. has a mental health problem that other countries aren't facing? Absolutely. Like, I think, so I so think, you think I it has think, a unique yeah. mental health problem? 
and, and when it comes to gun crime or when it comes to these mass shootings but I let, mean, but let, specifically let's, let's, yes but let's let's take let's take guns out of it and look at it at the from a psychological base, standpoint well at, just at the base level yeah there there it seems to be um a desire right to hurt a large number of people yeah um in the u.s and that desire doesn't seem to be in the countries i'm familiar with which is uk ireland and um you get mass stabbings in those countries i don't know of any they, they don't get as much media attention because it doesn't kill as many people but it but it's like it's it, and the u.s is tends to be in the center of media anyway but it, but it's like it, there might be mass stabbings in terms of gangs but i don't no no, no 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 i'm talking about of innocent people same crime but different weapon that's what i'm referring to in china it's been happening as well Man, yeah those got those countries i can't comment on but like okay the, the, that's what i mean the countries i know which is the uk island and spain i haven't heard of just acts of violence for the sake of violence in terms of taking people's life for the sake of taking people's life you had the, um, that van kill a bunch of people here in barcelona true um but and this is going to sound bad as well but like that supposedly that that was religiously motivated right. supposedly right. i don't know if they're just saying that because he was brown skinned um no i mean he supposedly, was a, they, i believe he was a self-claimed uh isis whatever yeah so supposedly yeah. and that again that's that's a mental health problem that's trickled in from outside you know so that is slightly different because it's not it's not a cultural thing necessarily it's it's it is and it isn't if you know what i mean because that culture is separate yeah but happens to live in and yeah we do get like the seven seven bombings and stuff that happened in the uk with some right. bombs but again that's from the same foreign culture right that, that's in there whereas right. i don't as far as i can think of i don't know of any which is why i think there is a unique cultural uh challenge of mental health that is occurring in the u.s i do believe that it is a pretty pretty unique situation at this point and as brevik he because was from I... he was from svalbard or norway i don't know so he 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 was part of he claimed to be part of like the knights of templar which is like some old organization mm. and he went around and i don't know if it was shooting or stabbing but he did that i think it was on svalbard svalbard which is an island north of norway that was probably 10 years ago and that was big news yeah. um i can't remember how many people he killed but a fair amount these things happen these things can happen anywhere yeah yeah of um, course. but what do you think then is could be causing do you well first of all uh, yeah. do you think that it could be um because mass shooting is like ultimate glory in exactly. terms of some sort of maniacal tendency that someone has and do you think that maybe because they've started happening it sets yeah. a ripple off a bit like serial that's killers. exactly well i mean that's exactly what's happening right columbine was the first shooting in the 90s i think it was late 90s this is exactly what's happening and and you're talking about guys that uh have serious personal issues that are not getting addressed otherwise and uh yeah uh, you know are copying a, a a way to get glory right um yeah i i think it needs to be addressed with legislature 100 percent 
Uh, I think it, but I think also the solution comes from uh, mental health uh, being provided uh, more readily to people. And I do think it, it also partially involves people becoming a bit more or a lot more uh, aware of their own safety and more responsible for their own safety. And once again, as I've been stating, uh, I would be against, you know, eliminating this right that is afforded to people, the mass majority of whom um, use that right fully legally and to eliminate that right, which is important from a more philosophical standpoint of balance of power uh, and empowerment of the population of the people themselves, you know, for that to be eliminated, just to try to solve a problem that it isn't even clear that it would be solved in doing that. Uh, yeah, I, just, I would be against that. So, you know, I think the, I think the solutions, first of all, we don't know the solutions, um, but, if I'm, but if I'm, we never do. But I think if we're guessing or speculating, pondering, uh, it's going to come from multiple directions, not just legislation alone. And I think it's important that we keep in mind the reasons why certain rights are afforded to people to begin with and make sure that we keep intact the aspects of those rights that are still important and relevant and the aspects that maybe were not addressed at a time that these rights were provided to those people because they didn't exist, those aspects didn't exist at that time, we need to address those now. And that's what reform would be for. Uh, will it happen? I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, uh, we're so talking, like we're talking about... It's political suicide, isn't it, for any... any it's political any suicide for anybody. Any leader. And any side. Yeah. And, 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 and in the U.S., to, change the, to make an amendment to the Constitution, you need a two-thirds majority in, in the Senate. Uh, and two-thirds majority in a very, very tight, uh, very, very precisely divided 50-50 um, system, bipartisan system, is nearly impossible. I mean, 51% mm -hmm. is how you win uh, changes, uh, uh, like how you make pass, uh, how you pass legislature. 51%, 50, like right, just right on the edge, right, is how any legislature gets passed by Congress in the U.S. And... That's why none of those are amendments to the Constitution, because the Constitution requires 66 percent. It's pretty crazy as well. Like, I always think about this um, with politics in general, because it's, it's similar in the UK where it's it's often very um, close, very close calls. But then it's just pretty crazy thinking that only you might have someone in power, but only 50 percent of the people want them in power, which is pretty crazy when you actually think about it. Yeah, it's like it's fit, weird. And like 50 percent of people are basically going to disagree with most of what they say and the other 50 percent might be happy with it but, but there's a healthy way be. of disagreeing and there's an unhealthy way and today it's all an un it's a very much an unhealthy way to disagree and it's because these, right today uh, today in this today, podcast today in this podcast <laughs> we <laughs> no, only unhealthily disagree with each other look when there's disagreements it's it's natural for us to to really pick at each other's uh, ways of thinking and i think that's important and i think this is the way one of the ways that we start to make a healthy uh, progress towards a, a, a safer future, a better future, a see, brighter future. See, I actually think that podcasts give a lot of power to the people because... The same way guns do. No, the sorry. same way guns just do. Kidding. But I think the next episode, I'll start with bringing guns to all my podcasts nice. so that my guests feel um, empowered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, but my my point is that, <laughs> that like I... By... by discussing things in a way 
with people who have totally different views. Right. It allows people to hear everyone's got a biased view, but you've got no right. you've got no agenda necessarily by not telling me. me what you're telling me. And I've not got really any because I'm not I'm a devil's advocate and I always have been. Like I like to push apart, and that's I think probably why we're friends because yeah. we always have these good discussions. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but in order to the way I learn is by pushing like put i gotta push back because that's and until until it reaches a point where what the person is saying makes full sense right um and they could be logically correct but morally wrong or vice versa or any 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 level but until the logical sequence is finished right uh of why they believe what they believe who am i to say what you are saying is wrong and who am i to say what i'm saying is right because they're both they're 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 all they're all elements of one problem that need to be discussed. And I think that listening to three hour podcasts of various different people, um, it, it's for me, it's, it's, it's revolutionized my life. I know that listening to people and talking to which people as well, which is why I started a podcast because mm-hmm. I want to, I want to give a voice to people. Um, I, I love to learn and I love to talk about different things, but it's, it's given us an insight into different people's opinions in a way that we did not have before. Yeah, absolutely. Because before, screen time was so expensive and limited that people had to basically cut. They yeah. might have twenty minutes to talk about a topic. They had to cut yes, out all of yeah. the all of the nuances, get straight to the point, and there was always some sort of agenda. They're being paid by someone. Um, whereas podcasts are most of them free by nature. And it's very difficult to keep up a false mask for three hours in a straight conversation. Wouldn't it be great if uh, uh, the presidential elections of the United States would involve the two candidates that are head to head sitting down for four hours on a podcast? That would be fucking. That that would would be be epic. Excellent. Excellent. And I say, wouldn't it be great, uh, not just for Americans, but U.S. elections are relevant to everybody in the world. That's the way it is. I mean. Uh, what can we do? You know, I, I mean, uh, I don't I don't think it's, it's a, a good thing or a bad thing. It's just how it is. Right. Uh, today, still, the U.S. In, is uh, the one of the strong, most powerful, the most powerful democracy in the world. And then you have authoritarian regimes and, you know, you have the other democracies of the world that are uh, quite powerful as well. And but but, you know, the most powerful continues to be the u.s militarily economically uh, even culturally in terms of the ability to export culture right with hollywood and music and and uh brands you know clothing i see people wearing american brands out here it's it's natural right it's uh, uh so you know culture anything that is happening in the u.s culturally and politically has an enormous ripple effect certainly in the western democracies of the world like the one we're in today here in spain uh in england as well uh and it's and it's relevant to the authoritarian countries as well because they're the other side of the uh government style uh that exists in the world and so yeah i think it's absurd that in in today's age uh we're not putting the two candidates that are head to head in the most uh perhaps the most influential election that occurs every four years speak candidly with one another 
in the long form where things can really be discussed, right? It, it's it's a, it's a reality TV show. These debates, it's yeah, what yeah. it's incredible. I mean, and and there's always a narrative, you know, like the 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 way that the the that the debate, um, per, person r- running the debate. What do we call these? The you know, um, well, I think they often call them the MC, Master Ceremony. Yeah, the, but, the, this, I don't know if that's for debate, but I think so. Yeah, or the referee, let's say. The way the referee is uh, running the debate and asking the questions, there's usually narratives behind it. Right? Yeah. Like you'll get one candidate getting easy questions and the other one getting hard questions. And then when one can look, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not really in in personally in support of any of the candidates that have come up in the last eight years, you know, with. Trump and Biden and all, all these people that 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 ended up getting elected. I wasn't, you know, Hillary Clinton. These people, I I had no side, really. I really did not support one or the. I didn't like any of them, personally. Uh, you know, but it, there was a clear bias for sure in the media. Uh, this isn't me defending Donald Trump, but there is definitely a bias against Donald Trump. Uh, and whether or not he is a, a, a good person or a horrible person or something in between uh, doesn't justify yeah, I uh, agree. having a bias against uh, someone who is going to be the leader of the free world. It's just it's it's crazy to me. It's just crazy to me. Hello, people. Uh, there's people outside. We have a window open. We'll just very I don't know if you've already if you've already mentioned this. In I have. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's, it's very exciting. People get very excited so, when they look into the podcast. But no, it's all it's all very interesting stuff. It's all uh, politics is crazy, and it's um, dicey, and it's dicey. Uh, but like I, you mentioned, like being the the referee or the master of ceremonies, and I was thinking recently, like I would love to be the referee of a debate. Um, I can't like, do like it. One of those things. I would because, get into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I. The thing is, I think that I'm. Um, I think that I can separate myself emotionally. And just enjoy the art of debate enough to be able to, maybe not at this stage of my life, but say 20 years in the future. Yeah. The thing is, you often have to be quite a disagreeable person. Absolutely. There's like a one like pretty famous one, I forget his name in the UK, but he's pretty old now, but he's just so disagreeable. Everything he says is just like cutting. <laughs> but like to both sides, he seems to me to be relatively unbiased. You know, he's yeah. just cutting them apart right. each of them but like it would just be pretty cool be i don't think i'm quite disagreeable enough for that but maybe i'd have to do my own like <laughs> slightly slightly more agreeable right. version of it but it'd be it'd be it'd be so fun like yeah. i just i think the debate is an amazing it's an amazing thing and i i it is how i learn i learn through i can take in a, i can take in information and then it floats around in my head but the way that i learn it and process it is by debating it with someone and that's the beauty of doing these podcasts is I get to do that and instead of harassing my friends who may not like debating right. um, or my girlfriend who right. often doesn't like to be for, for me to debate at her for an hour. Yeah. So like it's so good to scratch to, that itch. Yeah, I get to scratch that itch. And, yeah. it's, it's, revolutionary and it's so important. For me. It's yeah. so important. Dude, that's awesome that you found this because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've I, you know, over the years have struggled with not you know standing up and speaking up and going when it's not you know yeah appropriate let's say you know at a fa- thanksgiving family dinner right? <laughs> yeah. it's like start talking about you know whatever new legislature state legislature it's like it's not 
you know, there's no Thanksgiving dinner, no politics, no, uh, no, uh, don't talk, no religion, don't talk about those things. Just hugs and kisses and turkey, and that's it. You yeah, know? this Christmas <laughs> we actually had that conversation with my 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 mum and my two sisters. Basically, sat me down, and we ended up getting on the topic of me and all my flaws. Um, <laughs> and like they were basically, it was like they're basically just telling me like how disagreeable i am and difficult to talk to and all these things we and have like, this in common you and i yeah and i that my one of my sisters was like connor and I was, I was trying to say like okay but like how do you want me to talk to you like what do you like what do you like me doing what do you not like me doing one of my sisters was like connor i don't ever want to debate anything and i was like damn right i can't un- i was I like can't relate at all i was like that. noted and i was like what does i think and i thought what do i, what do I talk about and then and then the rest of them were like, they were saying, yeah, they basically don't like me bringing up topics. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, it cuts out a you're huge just, amount you're of... bored now. <laughs> it cuts out a huge amount. Because I, I like to hear, like, I like to hear people, yeah. I like to hear what, pe- like, what people have got to say, and I like to hear people's different point of views. But it is unpleasant trying to debate with people who get emotional when they're debating yeah and a lot of people maybe who don't like debating that's probably why they don't like debating yeah and i've only just realized not everyone likes debating so stop trying to debate with everyone right and then you always come off as an arrogant asshole even if that's (laughs) not actually your i mean that's my experience yeah yeah 100 percent. i feel like i've come off as as that when it really was not i wasn't trying to show like i'm smarter or better than you for thinking that it's like no this is how we actually uh really put ideas uh to the test right is i'm gonna i'm gonna try to present one idea in the best way that i can conceive of and then you'll do the same and then we're going to have a competition of yeah there's a competition competition. of wits it's mental gymnastics it's ideas the ideas are competing it's not a personal thing of uh, you know questioning your you know loyalty to me as a brother or a friend or whatever it is you know and like often often people have this is one of the irritating things about politics and debates why i just can't often bear to watch them because no question is answered there's no yeah the debate is so pathetic it's cringy it's sometimes. cringy and yeah. path- i've not ever seen any american ones that i know of or yeah. what i can remember but like what it's just i think this about this yeah well actually right. i'm going to tell you about something totally different that's not related and right. 300 people agree with me and 57% of the voters have actually agreed on this other point. Right. And like, yeah, but you're, you're missing. The, yeah, you've the just ignored. You've just did, you've ignored the question I've asked you. Right. And like, what's your favorite I, color? Seven is my favorite number. It's like, um, right. Dude, when uh, Donald Trump was running against Joe Biden in the this past election cycle, and I was like, you're seeing the just the ridiculousness of of these debates i i actually when i when i was watching that i actually went and watched a debate a presidential debate you know for an election between john f kennedy and richard nixon <laughs> dude it was such a different it's such a different time culturally and it's incredible they're so cordial mm. towards one another like saying you know like giving a, a preamble of I respect your opinion, yeah, and yeah. and I, and I know that you want the best for the country, and uh, I know that uh, you know you're doing your best here. However, I believe that the best for the country will come from this other, like so cordial, you know, stating facts, 
everything's matter of fact. And now it's just like, you know, let's rally people up and get them all riled up. And, uh, you know, who's who's able to use sound bites the best to, you know, bully the other. It's just craziness. It's, it's, it's so fucked up. It's also like um, when you're when you're debating in that situation, um, it's also I believe that if you if you lower yourself down to attacking that person on a personal level, yeah, you've effectively lost because and and uh, what I mean by that is if you're if you're debating politics and policies or gun crime and not gun crime if right. you then make it personal about that person like well if you think that then you must be yeah a, but you've a lost fucking, you've lost idiot. logically you've, you've lost, lost exactly logically. that's what i mean you've lost but logically. not in terms of getting people to oh no no you. that's and what that's i mean the thing that that's what that's that's but that's the irritating part is because when right. you start when you fall away from the logic path right and you then slip into attacking that person's character or like right. making some dig at the person right. you've, you've you've taken yourself from like an intellectual debate into right. a, a playground um little uh conflict or something and it's like it's yeah. that's the pathetic part and uh, it's like questions are not answered nobody's saying the real thing everybody's absolutely shitting themselves about saying the wrong thing um so they keep a totally vanilla flow going on as opposed to letting anything slip that could potentially lose some votes or this that and right, the other whereas like right, like you say right. if we stick it's, them in it's the so disingenuous if we stick them in the the um podcasting gladiator pit right where they can um right where they've got a, a glass screen between them and two, two microphones they can hold swords Dude. if they want or guns but they've got they can hold guns <laughs> each of them but they've got bulletproof <laughs> glass between them and they've just got a microphone and a gun yeah. so they can either talk or shoot themselves yeah yeah, yeah I, like I think it. we're on to something. Like like you it. heard it here first, lads. Yeah, you know, and to circle back a little bit into the theoretical physics community and how things are done. Dude, these minds, the, the great minds of these fields, they they have serious long-form debates about things. You know, it's crazy to me that the minds of the world that are going to be running the world don't. Mm. You know, it's just, uh, well, you know, I, I hope that our generation... I mean, you're how old? 28. 29, well, almost 29. Same. So our generation, roughly speaking, the millennials, us famous millennials, boop, boop. Uh, hopefully can uh, you know make this happen. I don't see why not. Mm -hmm. you know? But it, it's going to take two generations of people because <laughs> that's what's running things now for something like that to happen. I don't know if it would happen, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe Mr. So-and-so uh, today, who's 28, that will be president in 50 years which is apparently the trend now for people to be in their 70s to be leading the u.s or let's say in 40 years right maybe that so-and-so will be willing to have long-form debates on a podcast who knows holographic long-form debates <laughs> um where we go to where we go to... where we're all sat in our living rooms and the two holograms of the president presidential candidates are stood next to us debating in live time in front yeah. of our faces in holograms. They can also just do jujitsu with one another, and the, win, and the one who taps out loses. Or a big dick competition. A big dick. <laughs> they, I think they're already having that. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, okay, I think we're going to start wrapping it up here because number one, I need the toilet, and number two, we're at two and a half hours. I would love to chat more, um, but we'll dude, do a future a episode because I feel like we've not talked that much about 
theoretical physics. We talked a lot about guns. We talked a lot of. Well, we talked a lot about theor. We talked a lot about theoretical. Yeah. Theor theoretical theories. Yeah. Um, the theory the of theory. The theory of theory. Um, not we the can talk about part. the theory of theory of theory next time. We'll talk about theory of theory of theory next time, and yeah. maybe a bit more physics. But before we go, final words. Uh, this is the Quest for Wisdom podcast. What are your words of wisdom oh, to man. the listeners? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, stay humble and accept that we're not gonna understand uh, certain things, and uh, sometimes we have to just realize we're speculating and that we don't have to necessarily dig in to a way of thinking and that that means in science and physics and politics i guess that was a common theme in this discussion wasn't it in some it sense right uh stay humble we know nothing question everything mm -hmm. i don't know man I, it's hard to it's hard no, to produce there's some one. Nice, there's maybe some nice question words. everything and stay humble how question about everything that and stay humble. That's, that's the summary of, of that well they are some great words of wisdom arnold they're not my words this has been fantastic. Uh, I have one little present for you. Oh my God, you're so sweet. Is it broccoli? Uh, I do have some broccoli you can have if you want, but uh -huh. it is a Quest Wisdom t-shirt. Thank you. Um, Connor got, is a I've, legend. I've got a, a medium and an extra large, so take your pick. Oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not skinny enough to fit in a medium. It's got to be XL. Yeah, it's just a medium. That's the medium. This is the XL. Oh, no, if this is the medium, this is for me. Yeah, I think the, medi the medium, yeah, I think it should medium. be okay. Yeah, they're quite big ones. Yeah. Um, this is, this Arnold, give me a hug. All right, dude. Ah, good, good chat. Awesome. I'm gonna have a glass of whiskey after this. One. Yeah, Arnold was a little bit sad that I had no whiskey for him, but I had to remind <laughs> him I'm teetotal and I don't stock whiskey. But next good. time I will get some whiskey just for you, <laughs> and you can have a glass of whiskey. I will have a glass of kombucha. Oh, there you go. That will be exciting <laughs> for me and exciting for you. Right, anyway, bye, dude. farewell for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host, Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at thequestforwisdom on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now. Thank you.